what you've uh, done with the show notes. I've done anything with them. Sure you have. You want any tidied up? Well, you know, I got ready for the show. Yeah. I put in a page break. <laughs> See that? Yeah. Did you punch uh, three holes in the side of each one so we can, if we want to put it in a binder? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's like when you give a screenplay, it's got to have the right format. So, how's it going? It's going. What's the matter? I'm missing the Expanse season finale right now, I realized. Oh, man. Are you, uh, you've been enjoying it? Yeah, I started slow, but then I realized it, this is the only way I can tell if I like things. Uh, when it comes time to watch something for that brief moment that I have each day, if I'm lucky, or every other day to watch something on television, I have many choices of things that I can watch. And I, I try not to overthink it to say, what thing do I most want to see right now? Uh, so, for example, during Walking Dead or Game of Thrones season, it's always whatever the most recent episode of those shows are, because they're, I'm, I'm very excited to see them. Uh, and uh, The Expanse has come and filled that spot now. Whenever we sit down and want to watch something, what do I want to watch the most? I want to watch The Expanse. Interesting. I, yeah, I watched the first couple, and I and I, I liked it. I I don't know. I, got, I felt a little bit thrown off. I don't know. I just, you know, I shouldn't read what anybody ever says about anything, but, you know, it's such a, it's like you in the video games and plan out your video game season. You know, it's, it takes, once you've just, you know, I feel like I kind of decide, like, am I going to, you know, go all in on this? Do, do you think about that much in the early days? I I do. I, I try to limit it. I mean, I like space shows, so I'm, I'm predisposed to like this and I knew nothing about it. I never read the books, blah, blah, blah. I had a different impression of what the show would be like. So the first couple of episodes threw me off as well, but eventually my love of even remotely competent and serious space-based shows won out. Like I, I still like, for to give the two examples from before, Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, I still like more than this show. But it's in space, they have spaceships, there's space stuff, and it mostly takes itself seriously, mm-hmm. and so I like it. Yeah, I, th- I thought the first one was really engaging. I might give it a try. I uh we I had a strange experience with Sense Eight because I I I I think I like I don't know people are hard on the Wachowskis sometimes but I I think I'm a fan and I I like some of their weird stuff I like Jupiter Ascending I like Speed Racer I didn't see the last two Matrix films which I people seem to almost uniformly not like but I thought you know I'll give this a throw it sounded interesting have you watched any of it. I'd say no. I only know about it because you know about it, and I, I looked at it briefly to see what the premise is. But I don't want to know anything about it. Kind of like predestination. Oh no, uh, I understand. Because if I'm going to get any enjoyment out of it, it seems like I should just not know anything. Well, you know, a, a part to know about it that's that's I don't think a spoiler is that it's fairly lavish. It's shot on many different locations, and the talent in it is very interesting. The premise is pretty interesting. And like I, I watched the first one, and I was like, yeah. Because, like, wow. It's like, everybody's been really hard on this. But I, I really liked it. And you know what? I'm not going to say anymore. I'm not going to say anymore because I don't want to spoil it for you. Because I, I'm starting to realize that, that even, you know, I'm starting to come around to that idea that even, like, too much of a value judgment or opinion constitutes a kind of spoiler. It does. Yeah, it's true. I'm learning a lot from you. I hate to say it, but I, I really am. No, it really, it's, 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 it pains me. I'm... I was telling my daughter how uh, I do the show with you, and because I, I like you, and you make me a better person. And she's like, "What does that mean?" 
<laughs> and, and I said, well, you know. Is it, is it ominous? What does that mean? What is the meaning of <laughs> She was playing the cat game. She doesn't care. Um, <laughs> she loves the cat game. But uh, no, I was like, you know, honestly, I mean, this is, uh, this is not just strict butt kissing. But you've really caused me to, I don't know if I'm any better at it, but you have, like so many of our listeners, uh, as so many of our listeners have uh, felt, you know, you, uh, exposure to you makes people think a little differently. Yeah, so if I can make everybody a little bit more neurotic, that's it's part of uh, my mission in life. That apparently. was one of my early appeals with you. One of the things I initially found very appealing <laughs> was your your clearly your naked screaming anxiety about certain <laughs> issues. <laughs> it's always going to be a favorite thing of mine. Uh, and uh, yeah, I still I'll always treasure that. But uh, no, I mean, like, in, in fact, in stuff from this stupid show we do, like, I, I I am starting to think more about like rationality. And even some of my thoughts around the uh, religion word, I am trying to rethink a little bit. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, no. No. I, I guess – I don't know. Do you ever listen to that uh, – you know what? I'm not going to get into it. But, I, yeah, I've, I've been trying no, to listen I, to – Listen to what? No, I don't – see, people – this is another thing. Example, in the other programs you're on with other people, you do that and people just let it go. I won't. I would not let it go. Do I ever listen to what? Do you ever listening to the podcast called Waking Up, hosted by Sam Harris? Uh, no, but I think I've heard you mention it. I mentioned it in the context of, I discovered it cause you, you know how I go through a thing. Like anybody, I'll go through a thing and, uh, over, over like, <laughs> Boy, <laughs> we know, you know, you know how I am, you know who I am, right. You know how I am. Uh, is I, I got, I was just, just, I couldn't stop thinking about the act of killing, um, and the look of silence. Those two movies like are just unique. They, they are unique. I mean, it's there. Have you seen those? I only know about the act of killing. I know about that one. I don't know the look of silence. I haven't seen either one. Okay, okay. I don't know if it's your thing, but it's um but they are no, I, they are really they're quite engrossing, quite thought provoking, and very, very troubling. So Sam Harris, who has this podcast, uh had the guy who directed those movies. And again, I don't I don't think this is a spoiler, but basically this guy was in deep cover with these guys who had been to put it nicely, you would call them gangsters, but it was, they were really people who participated in a genocide over this period in the 1960s. Anyway, and so he had this guy on. I went and listened to the podcast, and then I thought, oh, this is a pretty good podcast, and I went and listened to others. And this Sam Harris guy, is, he's very, very interesting. He's a very, like, rationalist, or he's a very, like, uh, how can I describe him? He's an American uh, author, philosopher, and neuroscientist, uh, co-founder and executive exe- uh, chief executive of Project Reason, a nonprofit organization that promotes science and secularism. Isn't he like the least jerky of the uh, the prominent atheists, which Maybe. isn't saying much? I know, I know. He's <laughs> he's very he's very thought provoking. Because here's what I haven't done: what I haven't done is do a deep dive on how I'm supposed to feel about him, which has made it very interesting to just listen to his show on the merits. Um, and you know, because because I have to tell you, I feel that pull sometimes where I'm like, this is it's so annoying, but I feel like anymore I have to like vet things in my life to find out if it's something I'm supposed to even be interested in, yet alone agree on. It's not so much supposed to be. It's just that that people are multifaceted, right? So even the jerkiest atheist person can have their moments where they have a point now and then. But if you want to get a measure of the person as a whole in this day and age, we have the tools at our disposal to get a larger picture. So, you know, Bill Cosby himself will always be funny, but certainly, but certainly the take on the man as a whole has changed. And so do you have to go and do research? Say you just dropped on this planet randomly, right? Do you have to go do research on Bill Cosby to find Bill Cosby himself funny? 
No, you don't, but it may behoove you to get a larger picture of the man before you wander around extolling the virtues of Bill Cosby in general. Like, oh, man, that Bill Cosby, I love that Bill Cosby. Have you heard him? And, you know, for whatever, like, right or wrong, like, people will make judgments about you if you don't know the larger picture. So right. listening to Sam Harris and getting value out of what he has to say, he may be uh, interesting and correct, and there may be nothing bad about what he's saying in a particular podcast, in a particular episode or whatever, but then to get the larger picture of the person, it may it may color how you see his other statements or whatever. Anyway, I don't know anything any more about Sam Harris than you do, other than I've read a couple of things right. here and there. But well, I do is, know he's one of those. This guys. is what makes it. This is what makes it interesting. Is, is to me is my situation in this transaction as somebody who's coming in pretty cold and and realizing my own reactions as I go. Hmm, that was very thought provoking. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know enough to agree with that. Because you know what? I mostly go and read the first paragraph of a Wikipedia article, and then that makes me know whether it's something I want to name check, right? Because I'm that guy. But in this case, uh, you know, he's. But for example, he has uh, a very interesting point of view about Islamism as against you know Muslim faith. Uh, but but. Eh, See, I don't even want to try. I can't try to translate this. But, but the fact that he 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 tries to make this this distinction about like what Islamism is as a cause, and what he ends up saying about the larger problem of what religion does to our rationality has been very thought provoking to me. And you know, again, now you can hear this. You can hear this in my voice. I'm already feeling like I have to like say, oh gosh, I hope this guy doesn't turn out to be a baby killer because I don't know. But I but I am trying to expose my stuff myself to more stuff where I don't know what the ending is or how I'm supposed to feel and then take things on their merits. And I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, just... like, I mean, he can, he can convey ideas that have value and may be appealing to you while at the same time being like a white supremacist for all we know. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, again, I don't know anything about Sam Harris, but it doesn't like intellectually one doesn't negate the other, but societally or whatever, like as we relate to each other, uh, it's difficult to, if, if your avenue for, uh, we'll get to this in one of our topics or telling other people, Hey, I heard this idea. This person had these ideas and they were interesting to me that can very quickly get translated to, I am a follower of this person. I, I am a fan of this person. And then they find out what that person is really like. And they go, Oh, I can't believe you're a fan of this person. You're like, no, it was just the ideas. Oh, it's too late. It's all mixed up in the person. So it's very difficult to, uh, remove the ideas from whatever venue you first saw them in. Even if that venue itself has some sort of, uh, elemental corruption or whatever, the ideas themselves, I think, uh, can still have value, but uh, yeah, I think I think you have to. Like, I don't think you have to do it like beforehand to know whether you should believe the ideas and discount everything they say. But it's you know it's pattern recognition. You see a lot of really jerky atheists around. You see another atheist. You're like, is this one of those jerky ones? It's worth checking out if you care about the type of thing. But what I put in, just put a link in, in the notes here is Carl Sagan's dead, right? Oh yeah, he's totally dead. So maybe there's less chance of finding out that he was actually a jerk in real life. He seemed like a really great person. Everything I've read about him is yeah, great. Anyway, totally. this is one of my favorites. Uh, Demon Haunted World, Silence as a Candle in the Dark. Oh, this yeah, the... sure. You've talked about this. Yeah, this is a book I gave my mother to try to explain to her. I don't know, science. Didn't work. But anyway, how you that's... Are, uh, how you got how you are. Yeah, I don't know. But it's it's there. You can read it. And, it, you know, Carl Sagan, if you're looking for a... a uh, uh, more uh, unimpeachable source of similar ideas. Uh, it can't go wrong with Carl Sagan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, not to just make this all about me, but I, it is an interesting exercise when I think about, 
I'll I'll put it this way. I'll cop to this. Uh, I, you know, I'm a poser, I guess, as much as anybody. Like there are certain kinds of references I'm happy to make that I mostly understand what I'm referring to. But I also know that when when I make a reference to somebody, like there are certain kinds of people on the internet where by invoking their name, you ally yourself with a certain kind of culture or point of view. And there are certain very popular people like that in the circles that I run in. So let's say Carl Sagan, uh, Neil, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson, is that his name? Yep. And uh, Oliver Sacks. Um, in a different age, maybe Malcolm Gladwell to some extent. But there are a different ma- age, well, the 90s? <laughs> I don't know. I, hmm. It was a different age, if you think about it. Each, each, each book was about half as credible as the previous one. <laughs> um, but... By, by just even invoking that name, it becomes a kind of like pseudo-intellectual dog whistle that lets people know what you're up to. So, you know, and even, even in so-so stuff in literature, like talking about, uh, again, more people that I really like than a lot of people like. It's, it's not that controversial in my circles to like Hunter S. Thompson or to like Kurt Vonnegut or, you know, na- you know any of these other kind of white rock stars of uh, literature. But, you know, it's... If I only expose myself to stuff that I know my friends will agree with, I, I don't mean to be pandering to you here, but this is honestly something I'm, I'm turning over in my mind. If I only ever expose myself to stuff I know my friends will agree with and that I can basically just, you know, s- you know slake down like some, like some cold Kool-Aid, you know, I don't think I'm going to grow. I think I have to go and find credible uh, or at least very interesting and thought-provoking sources on, on different sides. And if I feel uneasy when I'm reading something, it's one thing to feel uneasy when you read something and go, wow, this person has like an unconscious ugliness or bias that they're either not aware of or they don't want to cop to. That's one kind of uneasiness. And the other kind of uneasiness is, this really doesn't fit my frame. And that is very interesting to me. I like stuff that makes me go, and that's a lot that's what's happened to me in the last two or three years, is there's all kinds of stuff and a lot of stuff you've introduced me to where I go like, that's... I thought I really understood what the frame was, but now I'm not so sure. And I don't know. I think that that can be a sign of growth if you're encountering stuff that's making you rethink your frames. Yeah, I, I remember doing that. I remember starting to do that as, as a teenager. And like my my uh, my trick or my what my technique for doing it, uh, more not more really a technique, more of a defense mechanism, was to read all these things, but never tell anyone that I was reading them because I wasn't sure if I was going to be retroactively embarrassed that I was reading them. Like a great example, I think I mentioned before, is that when Rush Limbaugh came onto the scene, I bought a bunch of his books from like whatever the book of the month club was and read them. Um, do that type of thing because he was very popular, and I was a child of the '80s, and I wanted to know why people were excited by these ideas. I didn't go as far as to read Dianetics, although I think my parents did. But that type of thing, like where it's a, it's a phenomenon in the culture that you feel like you need to understand, um, and it's easier when you're, I think, young because you don't ha- already have a ready like the framework you talked about to be able to reject this as just on its face ridiculous, right? Well, another so, example for people that age would be Ayn Rand, something that a, that a lot of people are very interested in and read, you know, within this certain like ten or fifteen year period in their life. Right, and you don't you don't have a framework for like whatever. You, I mean, it's easy to pick out you know things that we disagree with now, but like you don't know whether this is going to be a thing that appeals to. But you know, a lot of people are really into it, and as a young person, it's easier to say, well, there's a lot of things a lot of people are really into. A lot of people are really into rap music. A lot of people are really into poetry. A lot of people are really like they're enthusiasts about all these things. How do I know which one of these things is for me? And the only way to know 
is to try them. And the best way to try them sort of with an open mind is not to tell all your friends that you're reading it or, uh, you know, like you have to kind of do it like if you want to avoid the peer pressure angle. If no one knows you're reading it and no one knows you have read it, then you can make whatever judgment you want about it and <laughs> never mention to anyone that you did read it if it seems horrible to you. Or um, when you come out of it, if you think there's really important ideas, as many Ayn Rand people do, say tell everybody about it or whatever, but you have that choice. Whereas if you're like conspicuously seen in the hallways with your, you know, uh, Kurt Vonnegut book or whatever, you are saying, I'm reading this book and I want you to know I'm reading this book because I know all the signifiers like that it puts me in this club of people, with, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> John, John Roderick with his Wall Street Journal under his arm. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's a different angle. And same thing with Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. Where I read all of their books probably in the same time. I guess it wasn't the same time I was reading Rush Limbaugh, but like whenever they came onto the scene, it was like, who are all these people? And like, I feel like you just have to. And in the more modern age, it's like reading article after article on the web, reading the comment section. Sometimes you're like reading 4chan, like understanding what the hell is going on in all these different places, right? Um, and doing it sort of on your own as a as a thing you're doing for yourself that you don't expect that you're not doing as any kind of uh, performance or whatever. You're just doing it out of your own curiosity. And like, again, as a teenager, sometimes it's like out of shame. You're like, oh, I know nothing about anything. I need to read these so I don't sound so dumb in front of people. But that's how, you know, a lot of people you don't realize they're not reading it either. They're just, they just have a position that they're ready to stake right. out, you know, right. knee-jerk yeah, totally. I, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I was watching something, um, the other morning um, on Netflix, uh, Stephen Fry uh, did this thing to promote his book. You know that thing where you can like go to a movie theater and like see a live performance or something like that? He did something like that for his uh, book, uh, More Fool Me, which came out last year. And, uh, of course, it's, it's Stephen Fry, who I find eminently you know, amusing and, and thought-provoking. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a giant. He's like one of the world's biggest like Apple nerds. Like he loves, you know, Apple technology. And somebody asked him a question at one point about – how he feels like he would be would he be the same person he is today if he had the kind of technology that somebody you know today would have and long story short he basically says no i I don't think i could be and he goes on to tell this 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 incredible story about living in the country when he was a kid at the age of like 13 or 14 and basically how he was watching tv his dad had left the house and he wasn't supposed to be watching tv and he ended up watching this movie that was a production of what he discovered later discovered to be oscar wilde's the importance of being earnest and he goes to his mom, and he's just he's blown away by this. He starts quoting it. You know, he's watched it one time, and he's like, and I, I was the same way. It was exactly the same play. I mean, it's that play is just it's it's so it's so witty. It's it's almost painful. It's overflowing with wittiness. And he goes to his mom, and he's like, Have you ever heard of this thing called, you know, the importance of being earnest? And she says, Yeah, that's a play by Oscar Wilde. I don't know if we have a copy here. Long story short, basically, you know, he's he's basically in like a village in a nice house, but like in this very remote area. There's a bookmobile that comes every two weeks the librarian hooks him up with basically a copy of the four major oscar wilde plays he like consumes them repeatedly over two weeks takes it back checks out the entire you know <laughs> the entire you know uh collected works of oscar wilde and anyway it just it's a great story because it kind of he describes how eventually then reading a biography and going and then reading like what happened to oscar wilde and how le- kind of life-changing that was for him to go like he's like me he he loves people the way I love people, and that's what is that going to happen to me? And basically, it all started with seeing this thing on TV, but it led to this journey of discovery that I found incredibly familiar. I imagine you were the same way. I mean, I know John Roderick was the same way. We just go to the library and you start following your nose, and 
you don't even know if this is good or bad. All you know is you just want more, 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 more of whatever this thing is. And there's something so insatiable about that. And today, it's like it almost feels enviable to be in a position where you can learn about something without knowing whether your friends think it's okay to read. Or, you know, it's just so as I, as I was thinking that and processing that, I was just thinking about like, I just feel like, you know, being on this left side of the of the continuum, it's funny though, like how many of my friends are equally like kind of weirdo lefty liberals, but who think of themselves as very intellectual, but end up espousing a certain kind of attitude about books they practically want to ban or forbid or ideas that they just kind of want blotted out because they're so abhorrent. And like, I get scared by that culture sometimes because I feel like, you know, yeah, I mean, like, are we that, are we that? intellectually fragile that we can't be exposed to stuff that we don't agree with and to even be tarred by the idea that you've oh my gosh john syracuse read a book by rush limbaugh that's weird i thought he was really smart i mean that that's that's the kind of thing i i I still have that in my mind like and i hate thinking that way yeah well that's i i think the access the ready access to more information for people who aren't like super nerds and want to absorb every piece of information like i think we talked about this in the past shows or maybe i've written posts about it like when when i was a kid if i would get into something i would just i want to know everything about it and just would go through every resource i could possibly find to find you know down to like looking at microfiche in the library because that's what we had like how can i get more information about this thing Uh, and these days of course you got the internet so kids can get that information faster i think what that i imagine what that would do i guess i'll see with my kids although well yeah we'll see we'll see with my kids as they get older i imagine what it would do is it would give you a framework sooner because you would just be absorbing information and eventually you would have enough to support some kind of scaffolding, some kind of some kind of uh, position. And from that perch, you would look at every new piece of information that comes. It's what lets so many people decide. Like, it's, it's why I had to actually read a Rush Limbaugh book. I didn't yet understand. I couldn't understand from the outside because I was young and naive and foolish. You couldn't see what Rush Limbaugh's deal was because I didn't have the life experience or the knowledge. So I had to read his book to find that out. But now from my lofty perch of adulthood, having seen 17 iterations of the same thing that Rush Limbaugh is, I don't need to read uh, Glenn Beck's book. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah. And that's like, that's experience or age or whatever. But if you have access to more information, it can, especially like the internet, it can give you, it seems like it might give you your framework sooner. For good or for ill, like whatever that framework is, like if you are a, a white supremacist, you can find tons of support for that and tons of information, quote unquote, information about it on the Internet in a way that you couldn't in the days before the Internet. And so it can give you that framework at an accelerated rate and, and really cement you there. And then you will take on any new information from from that position viewed in the light of or whatever it is like 9-11 trutherism or whatever you know or the 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 anorexia groups that are pro pro anna or whatever it's called like there's a there's a framework for everything on the internet yeah um and so it's just it's this i don't know i i think it's mostly a good thing and that having more information is better because the internet in some ways is the cure for the internet as well as the disease like it is it is both things in one but i can imagine that for kids these days, they will they will be able to, uh, they will be able to progress faster in terms of their intellectual life. And I guess the only real difference is like people who are once you have an old man like you um, mm-hmm. will continue to pursue that because it's still available to you. Uh, it's just, you have the same advantages as a young person. It's like if you're interested in something, you can find it and read it. But you have the advantage of age and and being able to have some sort of like filter on the. The, the worst of the garbage or some, you know, pattern recognition of I've seen stuff like this before, you know, like you don't, 
you don't have to do deep research into the next thing that's similar to Scientology because you can be like, I've read enough about this to understand this is one of those Scientology things, right? Yeah. Well, and I mean, just to, to state what I hope will be the obvious, but I feel like I should say on his behalf, I, I, you know, Stephen Fry was not saying we don't want the internet. He's the, the giant, he's a bigger computer nerd than I am, and he would never not want to have that. He just was saying in terms of like a, answering that question, like, would I be the same person? And like, you know, and to a point that I feel like you've made in the past that once again, I find myself thinking about a lot is just this, uh, in my own words, this kind of arrogance the ar- arrogance of the contemporary that we end up having. So, you know, just in the same way that every generation thinks the previous generation, that's, every generation tends to think that the, the next generation is lazier or dumber or has it easier. There's no generation where that hasn't been the case, right? I mean, probably, we at least in, in American culture, almost every generation has felt like, you know, their kids weren't doing it right. And then that generation grows up to become another generation that feels exactly the same way about the next generation. And, you know, barring any kind of, you know, world beating argument about how the world's all going to hell. I mean, we do manage to stay alive and still and still make the world run with the generations that we have rather than the ones we think we should have had. And that's that's the thing to keep in mind is like, you know, it's we, we so much want to have this this yardstick based on, you know, what we're familiar with and what we what we can imagine. And when something comes along, that's not what we imagined. If something that came up you know, as they say in that, that cliche, you know, so anything that's made after your 30s is, you know, seems incredibly foreign. So I don't know. I, I'm trying to become aware of that. Even if I don't always beat it, I want to at least be aware of it. Yeah, that's definitely like one of those rationalist point of views. And that like you, you look at the, the, the long run of history and you see these patterns and you're like, and you have to recognize these patterns will happen to me, too. So I have to be conscious of them and fight against them and not become old and crusty and set in my ways and constantly say, am I, you know, the, the Simpsons as usual. This, uh, Simpsons did it first. Exactly. Simpsons already did it. Yeah. Now that, you know, uh, maybe I, uh, Principal Skinner, maybe I am out of touch. No, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> like that's just being conscious enough to make that joke is every time you find yourself thinking that maybe you're right, but it is such an incredible common trap that like, like 99% chance you're not right. And so maybe reconsider it in that light and, Maybe be okay with saying this is not for me, but not condemn it as the, the you know, the death of the future. But if the Stephen Fry thing, it's not so much you saying that it was bad. It's like that you have to be different because you take a different path through the through the forest of nodes in computer science speak. Like that one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. If you have if you have access to more entry points and more connections, you will necessarily take a different path through those things. Um, I think uh, John Roderick was talking on a recent show. His his path to World War II was like airplane books, World War II, understanding about World War II, World War One, like the Thirty Years War. Like his path through the subject matter had a strange entry point. If you have vastly more entry points and vastly more connections at each point, you'll end up taking a different path and you'll become a different person. Doesn't mean you'll end up in, in the same, not end up in the same place. But, uh, but yeah, access to information changes who you are. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price that you'll find in stores. The mattress industry has kind of famously forced consumers into paying notoriously high prices. It is, in my opinion, the worst. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and then passing that savings directly to you, the consumer. A Casper mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattress is one of a kind. It's a new kind of hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. 
These two technologies come together for better nights and brighter days. The Casper mattress has just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Usually mattresses can cost, what, over $1,500. But Casper mattresses, you get $500, you get a twin size. $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and only $950 American for a king-size mattress. That is banana town, bonkers pants, crazy nutballs. You can quote me on that. All Casper mattresses are made in America. Am I right? Casper understands that buying a mattress online can seem like kind of a weird proposition, but with Casper, this is completely risk-free because they have a 100-night period where you can try out this mattress. If you don't like it, you can send it back. Free deliveries and returns. So yeah, you don't want to go into one of those stores and just lie on a mattress for four or five minutes and see how it feels. Remember, that's a third of your life you're going to spend there. Do your math, sir. Casper mattresses are shipped to you in a box. Opening them is an awesome experience all its own. You see your mattress essentially come to life as you remove it from its vacuum-packed bag. Now, I, I want to clarify here. It does not actually reanimate and come to life in, in the sense of an actual organic being because that would be kind of creepy. You don't want to sleep on something like that. But it is pretty neat. It gets all big and it gets all big and, and now you got a mattress. You should totally check this out. I, I, I have slept on a Casper mattress for over 400 nights now. I've had mine for well over a year and I just love it. I think you'll love it, too. Listeners of Reconcilable Differences can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, and using the code diffs. Again, D-I-F-F-S. Terms and conditions apply, but I believe that you will discover in life that of the many things that apply, frequently they are terms and conditions. So that's nothing nothing different. you got to try this thing out. Come on, quit, quit fooling yourself. Be a grown-up. Go buy one of these mattresses. They're totally cool. Get a Casper. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. How do we get onto this? What was I talking oh. about? Oh, Sam, that's back back solve. Sam Harris, uh, new I, new I, new ideas. Mm. Uh, oh, Sam, how I like you. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, uh, no, but you have to keep yeah. going. We have to, we have to we have to go back farther. Is this called popping the stacks? That we're no, doing? it's like it's when you do that walk half speed walking backwards dream. Oh, you remember thing. that? Oh my god! No, you never explained it to me. It's still in the notes. We'll get to it at some point. But I remember you making your vague one sentence. Uh, you you got to walk. You got to walk backwards at half speed. I have a, I have a whole series of codes for. <laughs> this i'll walk you through it it's like that jump down uh, jump jump up up down down the iran contra code uh, yeah so what, what, what were you putting in there jump jump what is your isn't that what the code that? You, you do the code on in your uh, on your remote controller you i just do... listened to the uh, the paul and storm frogger song in the car with the kids today i was trying to explain to them this is like crossy road and my, and my daughter already an expert eye roller is like i've been to an arcade dad i know about frogger <laughs> but she doesn't she doesn't know about frogger she knows about pac-man that's it Ugh. she's such a liar the worst uh, we have one bit of follow-up this week. Uh, do you want to take this one or shall I? Uh, I, sh- I shall, if you like. Yeah, I, I put it in there because I thought, well, some, last week we asked everyone for money and offered them nothing. I offered them nothing. Nothing. You get nothing. They, you get nothing. Um, <laughs> and some people took us up on that generous offer that we gave by uh, giving money to Relay FM and or our show. And I just wanted to thank them, not by name individually, but just to acknowledge that Hey, there are nice people out there who get this show for free and decided, you know what? I don't want this show for free. I, I want to give people money and then get the same show as I got before. It's so crazy. It, it defies economic uh, theories at every level. It doesn't, though, because they're no, just being nice people. They're trying to say, I like this thing. I want there to be more of this thing. And one way I can help there be more of this thing is by giving money. So thank you to those people. Yeah, I agree. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's awkward to ask for money. And uh, thank you all for doing it. Now, do we have their actual names? Do you have access to that? Did you, I do did not. You, I did think you, did you hack the encryption, John? No, like I think uh, uh, the kid, as you call him, just put counts 
in emails that he sent us. But, We're not going to talk about the counts, but 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 it's enough that we definitely. I mean, if there's if there's a, even a single one, uh, you know, thank you guys for doing that. We, we would do the romper room thing if we could. Do you remember that? Yeah, romper stomper bumper stomp boo. Close, close. Yeah, romper. Yeah, I do remember that. And she I had a mirror. Something, mirror. something you and I, I see something Bobby you. and I see Sally and yeah, lots of names that end in Y. You see John Syracuse. <laughs> they didn't do last names in Rob Room, right? Nope, it was nope, just first nope. names. No, they, it was totally generic. I see Aaron. I see Jennifer. I see Johnny. Yeah. I wonder if those are real names or if they just, you know, randomized. Uh, you know what we never list. talked about uh, with names was, uh, was this still a thing when you were a kid where you could buy like a 45? There was a, like a birthday song with your name in it. Maybe I don't think I ever had one of those though. My friend, my best friend when I was a kid was named John, and uh, it was it was so dumb. <laughs> His parents gave him this forty five. It was like it was like something from the Happy Little Elves. It was like, "Hey Johnny, it's your birthday. I've arrived from the stars, and I'm here to say, Hey Johnny, it's your birthday. All right, what's the next one, Connie? Hey Connie, it's your birthday." Without computers, they had to actually sing the whole song each time, probably. I don't know, I know. if they could splice in the name. I know. Yeah, there was a thing on probably This American Life a few, uh, few years back about the whole, like, set your poems to music industry. <laughs> Do you remember that? I did that? not know that was a thing, no. Yeah, you'd see it in the back of magazines. You'd see it in the back of Rolling Stone. Uh, send us your poems. And basically, there was <laughs> this one guy in a band, and they, <laughs> they would take whatever you sent them and make it into a song and then send it back to you on a record. Yeah, all I got was William Wants a Doll. My name wasn't Williams. So. I was thinking about that. Just I think like even last night, I I I had tried when my kid was pretty young to put my hands to a copy. You can find the audio, but I don't know if the actual is the video out there. I just had the record. I didn't even know there was. Don't video be a jerk. Said his older brother. Mm-hmm. I know what to do. Said his father to his mother. Yes. So his father bought him a baseball glove. And all the things a boy could love. A, you know, a bag of Merle. Uh, and Bill was good at every game. Enjoyed them all, but all the same. When William's father praised his skills. Can I please have a doll now? <laughs> yep, that was a hell of a thing, that record. I mean, like, this is... I, I, I'm so surprised that so many people have them because my my mother in particular was a wannabe hippie parent. Like, we were, we were the kids who had uh, black, anatomically correct male dolls. <laughs> Like, Gee, thanks, bo- thanks for nothing, Mom. The boys had them, like baby dolls, right? Because <laughs> um, she was she always, you know, getting getting the the, the Tonka trucks from my sister. Were they and, circumcised? And getting uh, very small, so it's hard to tell. Okay. I think so, though. Okay, I think so. Um, but yeah, like she was all about the, you know, not going into gender roles and stuff like that. And then genetics had some uh, bad news for her, but uh, <laughs> cause, but not for lack of trying, right? And so free to be new, you and me, and yes, yeah, so I don't. I don't know who was playing them because I think I was too young to know how to work the record player. I don't think I was allowed to touch. We had it on eight track, and I just, our Technics turntable. I'm 49, and I have not listened to it since 1976. I mean, you can still hear it. You, I can still sing most of every song, and the voices they did and everything was more like a like a a play kind of than. than what do I know? I'm just Bo, and I'm a baby. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that Mel, Mel Brooks. So, what we're talking about here for this? <laughs> People not born in the 70s. <laughs> uh, so this thing kind of came out of nowhere. I don't. It, it did not arrive in our house as any kind of a feminist track because we were a very conservative, super Republican family. And I think, in fact, I'm in, in some ways I'm kind of surprised it passed muster with my mom. But uh, Free to Be You and Me, something came out according to this November of 1972 in association with Ms. Magazine. And it was a TV show, uh, but mainly what kids my age will remember was the record. And it was just a bunch of songs 
about, I'm going to say equality. It's about kind of parity, wouldn't you say? I mean, it wasn't about women's lib. It was about treating everybody kind of the same. It was It was kind of like, it was a sort of a hippy-dippy, um, like, uh, not hippy-dippy, like... It, don't don't expect it's, girls to do girl stuff and don't expect boys right. to do Right. Like boys it was stuff. in in some ways it was it was a it was a a salvo against what we now know as toxic masculinity and it was also a feminist propaganda piece of trying to say stop oppressing women and boys don't feel like you have to fulfill, you know, like it's all right to cry and all that other stuff and William <laughs> wants a doll, right? So it was it was way ahead of its time when you think about it. It's amazing that p- parents brought this for their kids because if you were if you were to espouse these ideas today, I feel like they would have like less approval than oh, they no. did. It was, it was un- back un- then. unblinking in its unapologetic. It was just so straightforward. It wasn't even. It, did, it wasn't even like aggressive. It was just straightforward. It was like just here's a world. Like this is a world. You know what I mean? It didn't feel like there wasn't any need to explain like oh this is what this is addressing. It was just like these were these are funny stories and funny songs and like why would you ever expect girls to do the dishes? Like why are you doing that? Right, and why why can't William have a doll? And why isn't it all right for boys to cry? And why should you be nice to other? Like, why is everybody free to be you and me? Why why are we all human? I don't think it got into any sexuality, right? No, no, no. Right, no, so it was, it was, it was a kids so. thing. But like, it amazes me. Like, especially if you said, "Oh, my house was conservative." Did they actually listen to this record and understand that it was telling you to be a human being instead of a, an automaton that fills, fills gender roles? You know, I don't, like, I don't remember either of my parents having an opinion about it. To, to tell you the truth, I, I I don't. But I mean, I did listen to it a lot. Ladies first, ladies first. Um, but yeah, and so I'm trying to think. Some of these. Oh God, do you remember Atalanta, the, the 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 girl who could run? Atalanta, and it was with Alan Alda, Alan Alda and Marlo Thomas. You have to sing part of it. Oh, it was a, mostly a, it was mostly a story. I still can sing. Oh, Girl Land. I always thought that one was creepy. Girl Land, Girl Land. I'm wondering if there's anything like regressive in this because I haven't I've listened to it in so long and you like to think these are all like high minded but is there is there anything like you know terribly racist buried in this that we don't remember? <laughs> Rosie Greer was there. <sighs> it's all right to cry. <laughs> Crying all the gets sad. the yeah. sad out of <laughs> you. Raindrops from your eyes. It might make you feel better. I guess I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like how cartoons these days can get a lot away with a lot of things that wouldn't fly in live action things. That if you aim something like this at children, I guess the adults figured, oh, it's silly pablum for kids. When they grow up, they'll understand how the real world works and how, how women have to be in the kitchen all the time. But for now, we can tell them this and pretend we're being good parents, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, little do they know that like these ideas, in many cases, would actually cement themselves into people's minds, and then they would grow up and see how terrible the world is and say wait a second what happened to free to be free to be you and me be like that's over now kid (laughs) (laughs) there was election that was held in 1980 and everything changed yeah i don't think it was 1980 that changed it i mean (laughs) well no that's that's the interesting part of this is like some of the some of the most some of the most awful people i've ever met were some of those retrograde people i've ever met were hippies (laughs) i mean just because you you like to you know smoke pot and sleep on somebody's couch doesn't make you a good person uh yeah, it's really good. I actually listen. I think my kid would find this a little, the music in particular, like a little silly. You know, well, but it, like I think that's what I like. When I was a very young child, I think that's why I liked it. Like I, I like the baby. I, I didn't. I had no idea who Mel Brooks was, but, but I like the the baby thing. It was funny. Like it's. Yeah. I guess before YouTube, like we had records that had funny sounds on them that we'd listen to. That was our entertainment, you know? Like, because we couldn't use the TV because Dad was watching the news or something. Right, right. You had a record player or an ear trace, an 8-track, and you could hear funny things. But I don't I don't know if it would uh, land with the generation that's used to instant access to uh, 
other kids their age doing amazing things on YouTube. Oh, now, now my, my daughter is requesting we listen to the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack, <laughs> which is a great soundtrack. Okay, let me ask you this before we wrap up on this one. Um, give me a few of your favorite things you like to listen to when you were a kid. We've talked about this a little bit in the music stuff, but like, what were the kids like? Kids' music, or like, what did you enjoy when you were, you know, like you're in my daughter's age? Yeah, it was. It's more like it's so different because, like I said, I I wasn't into music myself. So basically, what I listened to was I was at the whim of what other people would put on, and amongst the other things that people would put on, I had favorites, so I can pick those up. But I can't tell you that like that's what I wanted to listen to. Only that when someone else in the house chose to put this on, because I wasn't allowed to touch the record player, when someone else chose to put this on, I enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, what, what do I remember enjoying? Uh, the Annie soundtrack, uh, you know, Little Orphan Annie, like the yeah. whole, that thing. Hard uh, Lock Life, Hard, hard Lock Knife. Yeah. Uh, Sound of Music, uh, yeah. I really like that one. Uh, John Denver, uh, during the holidays, John Denver and the Muppets. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the Grease soundtrack, uh, and I had seen that movie. You're kidding. Um, <gasps> that was so racy. Yeah, I saw it over my babysitter's house. She she loved Greece, and she would put it on in front of all the toddlers. Most, <laughs> I'm guessing most of it went over your head. I think I got a lot of it. I think I also think I understood at a very young age that the message of the movie seemed messed up to me. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> the, you know, change and become a greaser for your boyfriend. Like, what's wrong with Sandy the way she was? It just didn't, you know. I, I know that they were going for that. It seemed cool, but it seemed like, especially as an aspiring nerd, it's like. Wait a second. That's not a I nice message like, at this moment. Also, you know, let, let me just be very selfish here. I, I thought she was uh, kind of cuter before. Yeah, no, they, she doesn't. She didn't fit well with the with the silly outfit and everything. Um, uh, let's see. Any of the music? Uh, Air Supply. I oh. like that. Like, there's a lot of '70s music that I like, and I realized the only reason I like it is my parents played it forever and ever. But I did like that. Uh, uh, Bette Midler. Uh, wow. They played a lot of Bette Midler and uh, Linda Ronstadt. Wow, you had a you had a, that's. That's pretty cool. I mean, so this is like either my, my older sister or my parents putting things on, and they would put on things that I didn't like, like, uh, what, I, I don't even remember the names of them, like older older singers that I was not into, not Frank Sinatra, but of, of that ilk that didn't appeal to me, or more 70s-ish rock and roll that was just not, I just wasn't ready for at that point that I didn't find appealing, but th- those things I did like. I think mostly, like, when I was young, I remember liking most of the musicals. Like, you know, uh, Annie, Grease, like, you know, songs from Broadway shows that I'd never seen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to get my kid to listen to those and like those. Uh, yeah, I liked, I liked uh, the kid stuff. I love Mary Poppin, Poppins. Uh, I like Free to Be You and Me. I'm trying to think of other, like, kid stuff. I had my own record player, so I could play stuff like Disney albums and stuff like that. Um or like the story of Star Wars. Like I would, you, did you ever hear that? No, you, you I know, would love I know it. It's got it, so many. It's got so many like canon problems in it. It's hilarious. <laughs> Two metal robots. <laughs> <laughs> it was made by people. Maybe people have only heard about the movie, but never actually seen it. It's so great in the space of whatever, whatever they could do. Forty six minutes. They they jam the whole story onto this thing with with lots of great music, with clips from the movie, and with this really great over the top narration by this crazy like Welsh sounding guy. It was it was really good. My kid definitely likes rock and roll. What do we listen to a lot now? We listen to the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. She really, she likes um, uh, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. She likes, I think she still likes Queen. Uh, she likes One Direction, gotta tell you. She puts on One Direction. Yeah, you think you're 
you know, at least I thought I've tried very much to influence my children by subjecting them to media that I thought was important and good at an early age when they were defenseless to try to imprint on them. Like you and your, your son with the with the you know movies with girls. Right, make them make them think this is normal. Just all good quality things. Only the, only the real Star Wars movies uh, and uh, really good high quality animation instead of terrible things. Pixar movies, like just all just trying to keep it solid. But as you rapidly find out, that may all be all well and good, and they can end up liking that stuff. Like I've been successful in many avenues there, but when something comes along that is perfectly attuned to the desires of people their age there's no defense yep. against it whether it's Katy perry or what was it, one direction like there's nothing like that that stuff is a cruise missile oh stuff like Mar- maroon five uh which I, I i couldn't have picked maroon five out of a lineup but now i know and my daughter didn't know them by name but like every time a maroon five song comes on she just gets really excited she really likes the way that guy sings yeah, I mean it's it's like it's like GMO crops, like it's like genetically modified, scientifically engineered. It's it's like I, don't, I can make more <laughs> make it more drug analogy. It's like today's uh, marijuana that's just so much more powerful than the crap they use. You know, it's just we have the technology now to make media that is just irresistible to children of a certain age, and so. The best you can do is hope that alongside One Direction, there's the other things that you feel like are One Direction is not perps. that. There's a lot of stuff worse than One Direction. I'm just yeah, I'm here I, to tell you. I don't know many of One Direction. My, That's my kids what makes mostly, you beautiful. Nope, I got nothing. Nothing. My kids aren't at that age yet. They've gone the uh, what? Katy Perry, Perry, Taylor Swift, who I actually like. Yeah, um, me too. Uh, and I guess a little bit of these people I've never heard of, but mostly seem harmless. But no boy bands yet, because you know my son is older and he's not into boy bands, and my daughter I think is too young for them at this point. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout, and you will get 10% off your first purchase. When it comes to giving yourself a place online, there is nowhere better than Squarespace. They put all the power you need into your hands, and they take away the pain points, like worrying about hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck on something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level with no coding required. With their intuitive and easy-to-use tools, you can make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected companies in the world, including me. Mm -hmm. Their site templates are stunning to look at, and they all feature responsive design to make your site look great on all sizes of device. But this is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They have 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. And they also have a Squarespace platform uh, for commerce, which allows you to add a store to your Squarespace site. How cool is that? It's all built right in. They also have a cover page functionality. You can make great-looking single-page websites. They have rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. And if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you should check out their dev platform. This lets you dig straight into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site. If you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. And these Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. So you can start a trial uh, site right now, today, with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Go set that up. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code DIFFS, that's D-A-F-F-S, to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, you should. Uh, one day I found some doodles around the house. 
including a heart that said E-M-O-D in it. I don't know what that means. Eleanor Man plus One Direction. Plus One Direction. <laughs> oh, she's learning, learning the plus things I haven't seen. I don't know where she learns things. this stuff. You learn it at school. You learn yeah, it from other kids. You, if you don't learn it at home, you learn it on the street. She's you doing learn. stuff in Minecraft now. I don't even understand. I think she must be cut in school to, be, to learn Minecraft. She's making <laughs> some buildings now that are just like, like blowing my gourd. Uh, I just put a link in to episode 104 of The Incomparable, an episode I enjoyed a lot called Kids Have Bad Taste, where y'all talked about, I guess, was it mostly movies you talked about, right? What was the top? I don't even remember the topic of that one. Was. Episode 104, Kids Have Bad Taste. Believe it or not, some of us managed to breed. Even Steve Lutz. God, Steve Lutz has kids. Is that true? I know yeah, he's got a cat. Just trying, just trying to think about it. Oh, my goodness. So we talk about what media we provide to our kids. Oh, that was, that was the topic of the whole kids yeah. show? Yeah. Huh? It's a it's a good cast. You got uh, Jason, Ben Boychuk, Dan Frakes, Glenn, you, Lisa, and uh, Steve. It is by me not knowing what was on it. I, w- I was actually on that, apparently. You do a lot of shows, John. It must be hard to keep up. It is. <sighs> we could segue nicely into our, our first topic, which we already kind of been talking about. And we already, we always kind of talk about, we talk around, but it's been in the topic list for a while. And I figure it's good to try to give it a formal treatment uh, also known as beating it to death so that no one ever wants to hear anything I'm, about it again. I'm glad you're doing this because I, I, I have been wanting to hear your thoughts on this because you seem to have some thoughts about this. Uh, we're going to talk about recommendations and endorsements. And my, my general first thought was, you know, I like telling people about stuff. I like learning about stuff. Just like how do you, how do you think about it when somebody asks you for like what are good things to watch in particular, I guess, like, you know, movies, TVs, video games. You know, and how do you decide what kind of process do you go through when you're thinking about how you would recommend something to somebody? Yeah, I was thinking about this topic before the show, and I was trying to turn the question on myself and say, like, can you think of an instance when someone recommended something and that you ended up really liking? Like, do you can you trace it back to the recommendation? Because there's tons of things that I like, but can I remember not kind of things like Star Wars where it's too long ago and you don't remember? It just seems like it's always been part of your life, but like. Did someone recommend something to you that now is just like your favorite whatever and you can trace it back to that recommendation? And maybe it's just my personality or whatever, but I really I really can't because I think I, I discard the recommendation. <laughs> like very whether the recommendation is successful or not, if someone recommends something and I hate it, recommendation discard. If someone recommends something, I love it, I take ownership of it and pretend it was never recommended. Like oh, I can't yeah. remember where... Uh, anyone turn on and and the only thing I could think of that was similar to that is this is getting back to recommendations like do you recommend are you trying to recommend I can think of many instances where I do but in the general case the things that I have come to like are not because someone recommended it to me but at this point in my life especially with social media and everything it's because I see lots of people who like who I know who I'm friends with who I know like similar things to what I like talking about something enthusiastically it's different than recommending it's, more it's like just an, it's like an ambient recommendation right because they are they're excitedly talking amongst themselves to other people who've experienced this thing a great example is hamilton right lots of people i know are super into hamilton and they're all talking about hamilton to each other they're excited about it they're quoting it they're singing it to each other no one has recommended hamilton to me no one has said you should go see hamilton like literally no one and maybe it's because they know i don't like musicals never go to see anything or whatever but it's so clear that everyone else really likes Hamilton. So that's the type of thing that could make me say, huh, uh, maybe I'll download the Hamilton soundtrack and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I have an opportunity to see it, I will take that opportunity. But it's kind of like reading the Rush Limbaugh book. I'm not telling them that I'm doing that. 
partially because if I hate it, I'm not going to go into the little circle and say, yo, you guys all talk about Hamilton, but I hate it. I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> it's we like, should talk like that more. If you, if you don't, yo, yeah. Bro. If you, <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Like, you don't want to ruin their fun because, like, who wants to? But, like, that's, I feel like, how I get a lot of things is I see a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as an example. No one recommended Crazy Ex-Girlfriend to me. What? Right? Jesse Char. It's all she talks about. Right. But not not to me. Not to say, hey, John, uh, I, I, know you, I know you will. I know you, this is a show that you really like. You should definitely watch it. Or have you been watching it? You should check it out. Right? That's a recommendation where someone says, yeah. I know you. You know me. I think you will like this thing. You should check it out because I really, really like it and it's great. But so many people were talking about it amongst themselves. So many things are like that. What is it? Uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Uh, what is the other one uh, that you talk about a lot? Other, I'm thinking of like sitcoms with uh, women in them. Uh, what's the other one? Like anyway. Amy, Amy Schumer. Amy or... Schumer. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, yeah. the Amy Schumer show. What is the name of that one? Uh, I've uh, seen, seen a couple episodes though. Anyway, yeah. lots of shows like that that I hear people talking about. I did about, recommend that to you. Well, you pots? have recommended right. So some of them you have recommended to me, but like I haven't watched Inside those. Amy Schumer. Yeah, Inside Amy Schumer. Yes, I have both of those that you you have recommended to me. We'll get back to recommending and then not following through with those. Oh my God, you follow none of my recommendations that, that I ha- that I haven't looked at. But I did see. Cra- maybe maybe it could be the type of thing where I want to just see people being enthusiastic about it ambiently and then like find it for myself. Girls was similar. People were talking about girls. I had no idea what the hell girls was, and right. I was like, oh, it's a show on HBO. I've got HBO Go. Let me try watching an episode, and then I was just absorbed in it. Mr. Robot. No idea what that show was about. For the longest time, I didn't watch it because it sounded the title sounded dumb, and I had so dumb. It was, I didn't think it was about anything. What it was about, it I thought it was like I thought it was a comedy. Like Mr. Robot sounds like some dumb sci-fi future comedy that I wasn't interested in. But so many people were talking about it, so I think for me anyway, personally, receiving on the receiving end of recommendations, it's mostly seeing other people I know whose tastes I can I have a handle on being excited and enthusiastic about something new they've discovered and then choosing out of that set which ones i really think i'll like so you were very excited and enthusiastic about kimmy schmidt and inside amy schumer but i just felt like i wouldn't like those shows so i haven't mm-hmm. tried any of them i did i think i saw one amy schumer one um and you're enthusiastic you're enthusiastic about a lot of things right but of the set of things that you're enthusiastic about it's not like you're recommending them to me you're just saying i love this show or whatever and then i have to pick of the things that merlin likes which one of those things do I think I will like? And then try them out, right? Right. Well, in, in this case, and sometimes with you in particular, and we'll get to this in a minute, but like a big part of me uh, recommending a thing to somebody is if, if it's got more than one access to it, which is, you know what I mean? Like I mentioned in the notes here where I'm thinking about like the difference between somebody, and I get this a lot, like with things like comic books or with whatever, where like there's being... I'm sorry, I'm being Merlin Man right now. But there's some people who are new to a medium. Like, I've never even experienced this medium. Like, what's a good podcast? What's a good PlayStation game, right? Like, I did that with you. What's something good for PlayStation? Number two, what if you're, good to, well, if you're new to the genre? Like, I want to learn more about science fiction or, like, heavy metal music. Like, where should I start there? Or what's the best of that, right? Again, there's distinctions here. Or in this case, like, in the third one, like, what if it's a big property or a franchise? What if, like, somebody comes to you? Has anybody ever come to you and said, like, you seem to really like you too, like, where should I start with listening to you too, right? Or here, I'm going to go, let's go straight to the elephant in the room, the floppers, right? So, I mean, I, there's so many people I want to recommend that pod t- podcast to, but it's a really weird, dumb show that I can totally understand why people, we talked about this on Slack. I totally understand why some people are not into the flop house. The sound quality is terrible. It's really weird and random. It's, it's very eager to please. 
it's it's kind of annoying. But like, would you ever listen to one flop house and go like yay or nay? Like, you've got to listen to ten <laughs> before you can decide if it's right for you. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of why like. The Flophouse is another example of like going to the other direction, aside from recommendations coming into me, recommendations going out for me. In general, I'm hesitant to recommend things to most people unless I have some idea that they like similar things that I like. There are universals right. like, hey, you should watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, like there's always some assumed, you know, like that you understand the culture that this this piece of media was made in that like you know this, this it's nothing is universal right but there are certain things that you feel like yeah most people who live near me and grew up in the same culture as me will probably like these great works of uh, of art and literature or whatever like just yeah, or like in the, in the way I put it like if you like comics you're probably gonna like this comic or this other comic and now if you like movies there's a pretty good chance you're gonna like this movie. Right, like just big crowd pleaser things, but that, you tend not to recommend those. To, to I, I tend not to recommend those. I'm trying to think of like the more specific instances of recommending. So something like the Flop House, where or the like, game. What about the game? Yeah, uh, yeah. I would not make that recommendation to to everybody, but like the Flop House is a great example because I, the only reason I knew about it is because I know that people and people related to people involved. Um, and even when uh, this is John McCoy, Dan's brother, even when he recommended, I'm like, I listen to your brother's podcast about bad movies i don't like bad movies like why would i listen to a podcast about i also i don't like podcasts that have a bit you yeah know, or, I, I mean like I, the idea is like to say to somebody you should check out the flop house they go oh what do they do well i mean what they nominally do is watch a bad movie and then kind of make fun of it but that's not really what the show's about like i've seen maybe six movies they've ever talked about on there yeah, and I and I don't really like bad movies, so it just no, I, it I didn't, like didn't appeal to me. I don't me. like bad movie podcasts. I, I would not go and seek out. I like Paul Shear, but like I, I have no interest in going and listening to his show. Like, why would I want to do that? Yeah, and so like I wouldn't have known the show existed until episode. At this point, there were no listeners, but I'm like, well, you know, fine. I'll listen to an episode or two, and I listened to it. And I'm like, all right. And I mean, I, did you did you follow your own advice? Did you start at the beginning? Yeah, it was, it was the beginning then. Like there was oh, okay. there was no there was no back catalog. Like this was like you were listening before Elliot. Uh, no, I was. I started listening after Elliot had had appeared, but okay. so I caught up. Uh, he was in like episode what six or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember what he came something on. like that. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't that much of a back catalog, right? Especially since there were so 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 many uh, so fewer uh, far fewer podcasts back then to listen to. Period. That catching up on ten episodes of the Flophouse was like nothing. Um, anyway, I listened to it. and I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I think it was the first comedy podcast I listened to. And as you said, the audio quality is bad, and the people who are doing the show have no idea what they're doing, and it's just a mess. Uh, <laughs> years and years of doing the show, and they still don't know how to record the show. Yeah, and, or or just like how to be on a podcast or anything like whatever. Right. Um, but you can, you it, can hear Elliot. You can hear Elliot like with his with his like glass of Coke. You can hear Stuart opening <laughs> opening his course. That's a bit now though. Um, yeah. And and so, but I think that one of the reasons I kept listening to it was because Dan reminds me so much of John. I'm like, you were on, that was my big thing from the very beginning. I was like, oh my God, you are on this podcast. I didn't like, I, I didn't even know he had a brother to listen to this and I realized your brother is a tiny little clone of you. It's terrifying. Like, <laughs> you know, like it, everything about him, the, the mannerisms, his accent. And were you were you listening to his brother's show at that point or you, did you know him from school? What was it? Oh, I, I, he was a coworker at the first job I had at a school. Okay, okay. And so we worked together for several years and, and he's a, a fellow nerd. And, wow, that's so funny. Yeah. And I didn't recommend the Flophouse to anybody at that point because I'm like, who, at that point, it was like, who would ever be interested in my friend's brother's stupid podcast? Right. And then a year or two passed. And I think I, you know, it was probably like in an incomparable, they were like, what, what other podcast was becoming a thing? It's like, what other podcast you listen to that you'd like? I think it was like, 
I know listen to this thing called the Flop House. It's like some dumb movie. This started in two thousand seven. That's what I'm this saying. This started before you look nice today. Yeah, I know. It's wow. this is a long running show, um, and and I think I made some half hearted. It wasn't even a recommendation. Basically, it's getting back to recommendations. Like I just said, this is a show I listen to, and I don't even think it's that good. But I still listen to it, and it's the only pod, comedy podcast I listen to. And I think like the the people who are on that podcast, Jason Snell and whoever else was there. Maybe took a note of it, and like it wasn't like I'm like, oh, you gotta listen to this part. Nothing like that at all. But as the years passed, I would keep mentioning it, and I think me mentioning it sort of tepidly, <laughs> repeatedly, eventually got Jason to be like, all right, John keeps talking about this flop house thing. I'll try, it. but I, I wasn't raving about it. I wasn't telling people that they should listen to it. It was like the the, the least, you know. But the, you know, as you know. Maybe faster for you. The show grows on you eventually, and eventually you're like, all right, you, re- you reach the next stage, which is. I don't know if anybody else is going to like this, but I like this. So I reached that stage with the flop house. That's, that's and, me like summer before last where I was listening to five a day. Right. Where you say, I don't know if this is actually a good show that other people will like, but at this point I'm laughing out loud listening to the show. I'm, I'm not, and I was like, I'm not even sure what I, I mean, I, first of all, not, it doesn't take anything away from these guys because they are actually, they're very, very funny. But like in trying to, in trying to describe like why you would want to listen to it it's hard to describe there's not really one handle to grab onto apart from like you know they've got these funny bits and they do these what do they call it uh tangents uh that they go off on that are like that are if if you like the show are impossibly funny and if you don't it's like sounds like the biggest waste of time in the world it's like someone said in the slack channel it's basically a writer's room where you just you're throwing everything on the wall to see what sticks and a lot of people are like well i don't want to be in the writer's room i want to see after the writers have figured out what's actually funny and put it into a three second gag and that's what i want to see right show me that don't show me the process but the process can be funny as well but and and like i get to that point where I feel like I like this thing, but I don't think other people, I'm still not really recommending it because I would say, geez, what would someone else have to do to get to the point where I am? I know. They would really have to start by episode one, start from episode one to understand all the running gags, to understand the personalities involved, to understand the characters, so to speak, on the show, to understand why it's funny when this person says that in response to that. Like, there's just so many layers there. You can't just tell someone. And so now, the current point I'm at where the Flophouse has slowly trickled out into a wider and wider audience, and among people that I know, people have started listening to it and becoming fans of their own right. Then we get into like, I think this is one of your next things, like, where do you start? So say you were at the point where you feel like, exactly. I I, I think you might like The Flophouse. It's a weird show. It took me a long time to like it, but I really do like it. And I think you might like it too. Where do you start? Um, and I, I, what I, I, always, I, know, what, I know your answer. <laughs> yeah, because I already told it in the Slack. And what I always say to people is like, if I'm recommending The Flophouse to you, I feel like you are one of the people who will get this show. I feel like I know you well enough, know your humor well enough, and know like the things that you find funny, things that you're interested in. I feel like you will get this show. And my recommendation is, if you want to get maximum enjoyment out of this, the way to do it is to start from episode one. It may seem like ridiculous. It's not going to be the thing that pulls you into the show because episode one is not that great, and either is two or three or four. Like it's a slow burn. Um, but I'm not trying to find, uh, as I said about this, not trying to find the maximum efficiency of, like, effort to reward. You put in this minimum amount of effort and you get this maximum amount of reward. I don't want the reward-effort ratio to be maximized. What I'm looking for is the absolute value of the enjoyment to be maximized, which may require a tremendous amount of effort that totally screws up the ratio of reward to effort. But I'm saying, I think you will like this show, and I want you to get every ounce of enjoyment there is possible to get out of this show. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is to start from episode one and work your way up. And I can say that for the Flophouse because it's not like they're 
timely. Like they're not topical. <laughs> like they're all no. And there's not. There. There's not actually. No. If you if you skip all of the kind of mini things, I mean, there's 196 episodes. Yeah, and, yeah. It's and it's every what is it? Every every, it's two, every weeks two weeks or every yeah. whatever every, schedule every they Saturday, think they're keeping. Yeah. It's a very casual <laughs> schedule. Um, I guess it's a little bit more regimented now, but in the beginning it was all over the place. Um, and so I, when I recommend it, I recommend it to people in that way, in the same way that you eventually find someone who thinks like I think you will like this series of books i think you will like the dark tower you go like but you got to start from the first one yeah. it's a bazillion pages and not that you, you recommended an, that to me and i still haven't read it yeah well it's a long it's a long road um, you said that <laughs> yeah and so and so that's for, for that kind of recommendation i'm not going out there recommending the flop house to everyone who will listen and i'm not in the camp that a lot of other people are of like just give me three funny episodes so i see if i like it and then i'll go back to the beginning or maybe i'll never go back to the beginning because a lot of people are looking for something different but when i recommend it to something i'm like i'm pulling you into into the club here and to say i think you are one of the chosen ones who will enjoy the flop house right. i don't recommend this to most people but for you i think there's a chance you'll like it maybe not you'll find out but to have the best shot at maximum enjoyment start from episode one because if you listen to 10 episodes you think it's crap fine drop it never listen to it again but if you go all the way through you will come out the other side as a true flopper See, my only problem with that is gag. though i mean a couple well, i have several problems with that but i mean we say oh drop it after 10 episodes if you're not into it but like you know is that at the point when the show was starting to come into its own I guess, you know, Bratz, uh, was, Bratz was pretty early. Yeah. Bratz like, yeah. was like 14 or something. Yeah, I think there's this quality. I think you will know whether... I, I By that point, it was already making... It was make Put it this way. It was making me listen to more episodes. Like, I wasn't saying this is the greatest show. I wasn't really hooked. I wasn't convinced yet. But I would listen to another episode, and then another one, and then another one. Like, in the sort of comforting sameness of hearing these knuckleheads talk to each other, and eventually it builds. And I, I think Bratz is really the first truly great episode, mm-hmm. but there's lots of bits in the earlier episodes that are just sort of as important in the in the Flophouse lore. Um, okay, so let me ask you this, and <clears throat> this gets um, and this gets into the um, I guess this gets into the how, how do you how, what angles do you choose to take? Well, first of all, I mean, hmm, gosh, there's so much to talk about here. Um, so it sounds like if I'm hearing you right, you're not you don't go out of your way to recommend stuff to people. Unless you have a pretty good reason to, you're not like foisting stuff off on people or giving people homework. It sounds like you know if 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 asked, you know you will gauge the person's level of interest and then decide whether you can recommend something. And and also like it, it, honestly, it doesn't take much if someone was to come to me and say I'm into you too. Like I'm I'm ready with recommendations at that point because they have already expressed interest on their own. But going out and like just if you were to search my Twitter for my recommendations, they're always qualified in some way. If you're the type of person who likes X, mm-hmm. I think you'll really love Y because I did, I saw it and it was amazing. It's so difficult to make universal recommendations. So I'm always making personal recommendations. And I can be, it doesn't mean I'm right. I could be wrong, but I'm saying like, I think this is a thing that you might like based on I'm, I'm an Amazon recommendation engine, you know, mm-hmm. based on things that you've liked in the past. I think you might like this and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's not. I feel like I need to have some knowledge to make a recommendation. Well, you know, and this, this doesn't when I talk to you like this, it makes me feel like such a cheater. But when people ask me, I, I, I with the flop house, I do actually throw up a lot of provisos where I'm like, well, you know, it's really it's really not for everybody. It is it is a cult sensation in almost every way. Where like it's it's a very peculiar kind of sense of humor, and it will take a while for you to get into it. But unlike you, I do have a handful of episodes that I recommend. My problem is I can't even tell if they're good recommendations because, uh, like for example, I, I I frequently suggest Bullet to the Head as, as a good one to start with because it's got it's got 
it's a very funny episode. It's got a lot of like tent pole, uh, flop house style bits in it. And you don't really have to care about the movie, which helps a lot. Because believe it or not, so many people have you gotten this? So many people have this unease about like, like for example, like with Top Scallops with with Max and Alex. I mean, people are like, well, do I have to watch Top Scallops to listen to the show? And it's like, no, not really. Or but with in this case with with the flop house, they're like, I you know, I, I don't know most of these movies. Should I go start with one that I you know that I know? And I, I'm like, no, you don't. You don't. You should. You know, I would start with this one, but. Hmm. That's what I. That's what I do because I want to have people like get a chance to go like, okay, if I in fifteen minutes that this is not for me, or half an hour, like I will know and I can bail out. But I think you can really enjoy Bullet to the Head enough to know whether you want to go back and plow your way through. Yeah, you can. You can. You can dip in and find little things to get little bits of amusement from. But I just feel like if someone. If you do that to someone who ends up being someone who really would enjoy the flop house, yeah. and they start to get into it, and they and start you, to you sort of scatter them of the shot, discovery of that episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, 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 like you want to see the classic bits develop and mutate because that's half the joke, and the people grow and change. Like how how can you appreciate Dan in his current state? Yeah, and Dan, the Emmy Award winner. And Dan, the underemployed, struggling artist. Like those are three Dans. You have to get all three of those Dans. You can't just jump in. And in the middle and think this is who Dan is, you're, you're missing his story arc, like, so to speak. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah. I feel like rich, rich Stuart, yeah, Stuart's, Stuart's changed a lot over time. Anyway, I, I have to have somewhere where I can go and talk about the flop house. I don't have enough places to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could do an incomparable episode about it and we'll just quote all the funny bits and talk about People like praise that. them enough. I, I think enough said. Um, okay. So what did you think about this? Um, Best versus favorite versus where to start. Because a lot of times, people when, when you have a conversation about media, a lot of people want to say, like, okay, what do you think is the best movie? And I, I know to you, this is like a no-duh distinction, but I think there are a lot of people who don't necessarily make this distinction overtly. There are a lot of people who want to have a conversation, like, what's, your, what's the best movie ever made? Other people might want to have a similar conversation, like, what's your favorite movie ever made? Uh, and I think historically with recommendations you're kind of expected to say to people like oh you know uh i don't want to watch all these seasons of buffy the vampire slayer tell me what the best episode is to watch or like with with community which which episode of community should i watch what's the best episode it's like well you know what i mean and so like that's like saying uh you know uh this book is really good but just tell me which pages i should read yeah what's the best scene in the godfather 2 Right. Yeah. What's, what's the, yeah. What's the best page in this book? Yeah. Yeah. And but you know, I, I take your point though because it's in order to appreciate why you think something is the best episode, uh, like in your case, talking about the in this case the flop house with the technical issue that 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 one very special episode. Like, is that the best episode? No, but it's really special. Like, if you like the flop house because flop house, right? But like, that's why I distinguish like best of something, my favorite of something versus where to start with something. And those may overlap. In fact, with Doctor Who, no, almost with Doctor Who. Doctor Who, I got two of those. But there are probably some things where I could say, this is the best episode, this is my favorite episode, this is the where to start episode. But it is pretty rare. The best and the where to start episode are rarely the same episode of a TV show for me. Well, they should. They can't possibly, anything that has any sort of continuity, they can't possibly, because the best episode surely builds on what has come before. So it would not be the place to start if there's any. You wouldn't continuity. say that for like for like Lost. I guess um, the first episode is not the best episode, but it's a pretty no, good episode. It's a good one, but they're late. Like the reason some, everyone got obsessed with Lost, like oh my god, I love Lost, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. There's like everyone has their own little favorite reveal or favorite thing that happens. Beginning of and, season two, when he's down in the hole playing my, the record. My, you're never going to guess my favorite, which is not the best episode or not the like the the scene. 
Yeah. Well, what what is your favorite? Yours is beginning of season two down in the Oh, hatch? I just I just remember I was so excited when he came back on, and what's his name? The you answer. start you start inside the hatch. Yeah. What's that guy's name? Uh, Penny's okay. Penny's boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, not not Penny's boat. Not Simon. He has some kind of an English name. Yeah, and, I know who you're talking about. And like, and then uh, I guess this is a spoiler, but yeah, basically, it's it, they discovered the hatch at the end of season one, right? Right. And you see all this stuff going on in the body of this guy running around and doing stuff. And then there's the reveal that like what we're seeing is inside the hatch. And you're like, oh my god! And and what's going on in there is crazy. Like he's putting on records, listening to music. He's like having a whole life. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like Gilligan's Island. Like he's got this whole thing going on in there. What's yeah. yours? Uh, my it's the stupidest one. What this is like? It's the moment I said, this is this is a show for me. Like I love these people. Uh, it was I have no idea what season it was, but you'll remember the scene. They're out on the water on a boat. I think it's when, like, the others came and took Walt off the boat or something like that. Remember that bit? Or they're floating on a raft or whatever. Is this, and they we, come, we've got a man on your boat? Uh, no, it was, it was, they're, on a, they're on a raft, and, and they, some, the others stole Walt and from it, I Mr. Think Friend, this is or Mr. Friendly is over there? Uh, it, but it was the daytime thing after, because Walt got stolen at night. Anyway, okay. they're, it, it's, day, it's daylight. They're on the water on some, uh, I think, on the raft, looking back at the island, and they see a giant statue of a foot. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Right, which was, at, at that point unprecedented in terms of the thing we had seen yeah like what uh, what now <laughs> we had seen possible technology and we had seen a little bit but so like the foot, right right and then and then the kicker why does it have four toes <laughs> and that was like the end of the season or the end of the episode or i'm like what? yes yeah. yes that's exactly what i want to see i want to see a statue of a gigantic foot with four toes <laughs> and then you end and then you end the show i'm like you've got me and that payoff only like that only works if you start as your first episode this seems like just nonsense but if you've watched and be caught up with it like it's the show like like being inside the hatch it's the show showing you you don't know what we're capable of <laughs> you don't you don't know my you don't know our life you don't know what, what journey we're going to take you on here it's like it's the promise now you can debate whether lost paid off on that promise or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah. um but that that was my favorite moment but it's certainly not where to start mm. and certainly not really the best like it you know it's just it's the thing that tickled me because that's i mean and that, the best favorite distinction i think that's perfectly clear for people intellectually sometimes they have trouble separating it emotionally but intellectually you can explain the concept like you know for a thing like lost that is the moment that tickled me the most that really flipped me over on the show and just you know irreversibly made me love it no matter how terrible they they right. may have resolved things in the end right and and it was my favorite but it's not the best i mean it's a cheap gimmick uh there were better scenes in terms of like how well is this written how did you arrange the plot to come together to create the situation that's dramatic where like it wasn't the best by any measure because best is like how do we judge television shows or narratives yeah, it's, like, in general? it's sort of like your phrase like when you're talking about like seeing the statue of a four-toed foot or seeing a character land on an air mattress. I'll just say that much. Uh, we we go up. Oh, you got me. All right, you got me. <laughs> I, I mean, it's your favorite. It's the one that make, that tickles you the most. It makes you smile the most. That you that you feel that tingle. That that is like a magical moment. Um, and sometimes those moments can be can be cheaply constructed, and you realize it's it's like a house of cards. But it, you know, and so that's why you don't give it the best because the best is like when it all comes together in a meaningful way uh that you know that, that is more than just surface but it may not be your favorite like you may be able to appreciate the craft of many many movies for example or, you know that, that are beautifully made and written but don't connect with you uh as much as one little little moment and 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 where you can see that your reaction uh is so much different than everyone else's whereas best you feel like uh you have captured something that is a part of the essence of humanity not just something that tickles my funny bone 
or whatever. Yeah, yeah. For me, uh, I think of like I think again, I think of Day of the Doctor when they come up with their cockamamie plan where they're gonna have their three Tardises go around Gallifrey, and then it's like, and then the other Doctors show up, and I'm like, oh my god! And they, <laughs> they're using all this footage of the previous Doctors, and like I'm already I'm I'm. I'm cavelling. I'm like, I'm over the top at like how much I love this scene. Like I, I am far from the biggest Doctor Who fan in the world, but that scene when the all 12 Doctors are showing up and then <laughs> the guy at the control panel, I, I almost cried thinking about it. He goes, he goes, that's my worst nightmare, my worst nightmare, all, you know, all 12 of them. And the guy goes, no, sir, 13, zoom. <laughs> and they show Peter Capaldi and I'm like, ah, like that was, that was like one of the greatest payoff moments in Doctor Who ever. And like, but the thing is, how do you give that to somebody as a first episode? Oh, yeah, it's really it, good because it like make 50, any sense. fifty years of this show come together in this one episode. But the, I, I still, I, we, I've been watching that. We watched that so often. We've watched it for two years, and there's still so many scenes in that episode that still, honestly, just make me cry and just give me such a zing. Like I don't know, it's just it's, but not where to start for Doctor Who. I always recommend Eleventh uh, Hour. Yeah. And yeah, that's because you, what you're looking for is an that's entry the cleanest, point. That's the that, cleanest continuity point. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It, it doesn't require people to watch like old, quote unquote, old shows that have a different sensibility than their time. I'm trying to think of another example of best and favorite. And I think movies is easy uh, because yeah. like some, my favorite movie is like, I don't have a single favorite movie, but I would probably list Empire Strikes Back, Key's Delivery say, Service. It was Star Wars. A bunch of stuff like that. But is, yeah. but is Empire Strikes Back the best movie ever made? No. Is it my favorite movie? <laughs> okay. It's It's a contender with like one or two other ones, right? And so how can that, how can there be such a, a stark difference between favorite and best there? Uh, because I, I would, for example, would say that The Godfather, one or two, is a quote-unquote better movie than Empire Strikes Back, but I like Empire Strikes Back more than them, mm-hmm. right? Not by much, but more. And so like, what is it, like, how how is there this separate criteria? Like, it's it's the, the trap that, you know, for video game reviewers and people who love video games fall into, it's like, I want an objective review. Like, there's no such thing as an objective review. It's, it's counter to the entire idea. So, but but somehow, in in my mind anyway, it is so clear that you can say something is a better movie, but that you like this other movie more. And th- I have no right. problem having those two ideas in my head at the same time. And it, apparently, for some people, it's a distinction that though they may academically recognize it, once you fill in the variables and say, okay, now let's talk about movie X and movie Y and put it values for X and Y, then all of that supposed understanding of difference between best and favorite goes out the window and they will argue forever that their favorite is also the best. But it's it's also, the, the irony of that is that, if you think about the way we're describing that, where you could say, for example, and I, I you know, I was once a pretty big YouTube fan, not so much now, but I, I, I think you could might be able to say, like, what do you want? Okay, how about this? How about this? Um, uh, automatic for the people. Uh, most people would agree is the best REM album. It is so far from my favorite. I would have six REM albums in front of Automatic for, for the people. I would say Reckoning is my favorite. I don't think many people say it's the best though. Really? It's, uh, there's a lot of people. Yeah, I, I would say. Who? What do people? What do you think is the consensus uh, best REM that's, album? No, I think that's the one. Automatic is for for young people, but like, it's not going to be one of yours because. No, I, I guess mean, I, gotta have, I think I'd have to go with Green. Don't you think Green would be the consensus favorite? You pulled every single U2? That's Stand? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, I guess so. Green Green was the last... Wait, is that after Monster? Or before Monster? Before no, Monster, no, no. Come Monster. on, you're, you're rethinking. Uh, you're thinking of the wrong thing. Not, Mon- not Monster. No one's picking Monster as the best. Or no, no, no. I'm just trying to put it in chronological. <laughs> so from when I stopped being interested, you've got, uh, you got Fables, 
Uh, you got Fatal. It's got, uh, Green has uh, Stan, Pop Stan. Song 89, Get yeah. Up, Orange Crush. I think that was, I think that was, and was that right before Out of Time? Uh, it was so. before, maybe you know, right before. I, yeah, and, and Out of Time maybe a lot of people's favorite because it was very famous. But Out of uh, Time was is you know I think Out of Time is the is the should be a dark horse. I think it's a it's if you're an REM fan, I don't know uh, that that one re- reinvigorated my interest in REM. But like okay, so all I'm saying is that like uh, Automatic was critically acclaimed, critically acclaimed, but also like amongst my friends, most of which are only a little bit younger than me, but like back in Florida. Uh, in a, like an indie rock band scene, that was that was everybody's almost everybody's favorite REM album, and like for me, uh, yeah, it would definitely be so. Like, but the, here's the, what I'm trying to get at: is this the irony is that when you're willing to make an overt distinction between your favorite movie and the best movie, you oddly end up damning the best movie with faint praise in some ways. Like, oh, if it's the best, then why isn't it your favorite? Oh, yeah, that one's the best, but this one's my favorite. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, but it's uh, it's what what I think it's for me it's the opposite. It's what you're saying is that um, you're reinforcing your own supposed ability to judge things like as they truly are, even though again, objective reviews is, is a non thing. But like to, to be able to understand what is you know to understand that this movie is truly the best is the pinnacle of this this form as far as you're concerned or at least uh, right up there with a couple of other ones that you might throw in the mix but that you being the weird squishy person that you are have a strange affection for this other lesser thing like that you are basically saying saying that i myself am a fallible silly human who has strange uh, uh strange notions and a weakness for this lesser thing so that is my favorite it's like saying it's like having you know your favorite glass be the one with the chip in it, but it's not the best glass because, right? You, there, you know, there are so many nicer ones, and this one is kind of damaged and dingy, but it has like sentimental value or whatever. Yeah, the the, the thread is, is sentimentality or some kind of ineffable attachment that you can't really ra- rationally offend. Uh, it's not backed defend. up by the media. It's not in the media. So what we're getting is a great way to do is like if you have like a, a sentimental favorite shirt or whatever that is not your best shirt because it's like it's got holes in it and it looks disgusting and nobody likes it and when you wear it like it doesn't perform any of the functions of clothing correctly it doesn't keep you warm other people <laughs> don't think it looks nice it smells bad like it repels people it's itchy when it's on or whatever and yet it is your favorite shirt for yeah. sentimental reasons that have nothing to do with the shirtiness of the shirt right so movies are judged on by whatever criteria you want to judge them and you can say this movie is better than this movie in enough categories that it's, it is clearly better but this is my favorite for reasons outside the movie that's basically what we're saying like for reasons you know why is empire strikes back my, one of my favorite movies it's because i was super into star wars and i saw it when i was a kid and it was a really important movie in my life and that's why it can be my favorite but not the best right I, and to be fair i think it's a really good movie and i think it should be much higher on most top 100 list than it actually is because it is really really good and once you get up into that you know, once you're in top 100, it's difficult. But once you get up to mm-hmm. top 20 or 30, anyway, I'm, I'm not trying to undersell Empire Strikes Back, but that's like favorite. Favorite is recognizing that people, uh, that you're incorporating things from your own life into your judgment that are not present in the media as created, right? I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the heart of what this is uh, This is about. Um, and, and I feel like that what that does, talking about that and acknowledging it, it's like recognizing your own bias. It's like being self-aware enough to realize this is my favorite, but I can separate myself enough from it to know that if someone else was coming from the outside and didn't grow up seeing Star Wars, many of the things that I'm feeling about the movie, they aren't going to feel. And same thing for any album that you heard right. when you were a teenager or whatever. Right. 
That was green, out of time, and then automatic. I mean, that's a hell of a run. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, You know, it's funny. Automatic, I was already kind of on different stuff. You know, they, they, they stopped being my unimpeachably favorite band. I mean, through no fault of their own. I'm glad they After grew. they sold out, right? After they sold out to the man. <laughs> After, no, but I'm, I have to say, I've always really respected them. Once they left IRS, it was all over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you love- get me, man. <laughs> I'll tell you something funny off air about R.E.M. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... Okay, but let, okay, so let's do the exercise then. Should we do the, try the exercise for a couple uh, bits of media just for fun? Sure. Um, should we do movies? Should we do movies, TV? Uh, you like Martin Scorsese? Sure. Best, favorite, where to start? Where to start? That's the tough one. That's Scorsese. a tough one. Um, There's, you know, the thing is, I don't know if you know this, he made... A lot of really good movies. Yeah, I gotta go look. I gotta go look at his. Uh, I'm looking at it right now on the IMDb. His his slugging percentage is pretty crazy. Here, I'll send. Well, you, you, you know how you use Google. Yeah, but I gotta. What's I gotta go to the Wikipedia page? I hate IMDb. I don't know. Is this even a good example? I guess. No, I guess it is. It is a good. I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, God. Oh God. I, yeah. So I'm. This if is one want, where I if think. If you want, start with. If you want, start with favorite. Uh, I, I, I think. I <laughs> think I best. Guess? Yeah. I think best favorite might be the same. Uh, I'm trying to look at anything I can put as best over over Goodfellas. Goodfellas is my favorite. Easy. Yeah. Um, God, is anything actually better than Goodfellas? I can see someone trying to make an argument for ta- taxi for, driver for uh, not taxi driver for Raging Bull, but I disagree. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I got I got to go. Best favorite is is Goodfellas. So that's actually an easy one because it is mm-hmm. my favorite. Maybe I saw it late enough. It is my favorite, and I really think I really think that is his best work. It is just a phenomenal movie. Like every every time I look, I'm looking at his his list of movies here, and there are great parts in them. But I'm like, you know what? Goodfellas did something like that, and even I just think it is it is amazing. And and where to start? Yeah. Well, cause here, okay, so here's here's the problem. The where's to start is really hard because that really depends. If you want to understand his importance as a filmmaker, uh, go with Italian American, like <laughs> the documentary about his parents. Like, if you want to know that, but if you just if you want to know like the kind of like the when he was like just a, an indie bad boy, probably Mean Streets. Like, if you want to know why he's famous, Taxi Driver. If you want to know like when he became like an artistic genius, probably Raging Bull. If you want to see something that's surprising, surprisingly funny and weird, King of Comedy, um, avoid Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> Goodfellas, though, that's yeah. So, like, it, where to start is different because where where to start, like in because you, what you offered as a thing is Scorsese, and the idea is that yeah, that was lame. Yeah, uh, like you said, like that you're like you're not starting on Doctor Who. It's not a franchise. He's a person. He has a body of work, and so you, you're implicitly saying like you said what what do you want to know do you want to know more about his body of work like like what is your goal your goal is to, is your goal to know martin scorsese so it's difficult to say like if you just merely want to appreciate goodfellas at its fullest I, like maybe you could jump right in but i would say i would say like go go mean streets taxi driver raging bull goodfellas and by the time you get to goodfellas you'll have a handle on things but that undersells those movies that i just listed before it so i, I feel like if you're gonna if you're going to understand the person, like it's, you have to have a, a more directed goal. It's like, where do I start? Scorsese, where do I start? Because he's a person and he's done a lot well, of stuff. One reason I'm doing this is because, again, let's let's talk about how the world is changing. Uh, first of all, a lot of these movies are 40 years old now, 30 years old now. Uh, I don't think it's as safe to assume that 
that <laughs> that people 20 years younger than us have seen as many Martin Scorsese movies as we have. But there may be people who've heard a lot about him. Maybe this is a little bit like Hitchcock was in, say, the 80s, where you would go like, oh, I keep hearing about Alfred Hitchcock. I've seen Psycho. Like, what else should I watch, right? That's the reason I, that's one reason I brought this up. Maybe in some ways a, a more interesting example, and I'm not saying we should do this one, but is would be Kubrick, where, I mean... <sighs> They're all they're all so Stanley Kubrick, but they're all so different. You know what I mean? In that case, like you know, would you say what I would say? Don't start with Barry Lyndon, like for example, it's really good, but don't start there. But you know, <laughs> what do you say? Clockwork Orange, The Shining, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, what? He, I think his movies are different enough that like if you, it's kind of like Wes Anderson too. If you watch one, that of was them, my next one. You, no, yeah, my next you, one. <laughs> you get the flavor. Like, are you wondering who Stanley Kubrick was? Watch this movie, and you can pretty much insert any movie in that and say, and what that feeling, weird feeling you were feeling, that's Stanley Kubrick. Exactly, <laughs> right? exactly, exactly. And that, that's why, you know, I still, I, I really still hope that somebody can watch Dr. Strange Love and enjoy it like half as much as I did the first time. Like, I wonder if that's even something they can still even appreciate. Yeah, it's difficult to recapture the cultural context that you see things. Oh, but, it, but, but, yeah. but, the, but the best always stand above. That's why I feel like when you have best favorite, the same. It's, it shows that, like, not only did that movie hit you at the right time, but really it is like a, it's like a, a tower of – it is a towering achievement that will – That movie is so impossibly weird. It's – if you remember when that movie came out, it's, it's difficult to realize how incredibly strange that movie is. Now, see, with, with Wes Anderson, it's like – here's a weird one for me because what a lot of people consider his best movie is one that, that I sometimes can't even get through, which is Royal Tenenbaums. Which Who considers I, that his best movie? Who does? Well, find, the, find me those I people. I think Dan Benjamin might. I mean, but well, Royal Bombs, it, it's, it's like, no. it's like which Wes Anderson can you tolerate? And like, do you want, can you handle like the, the men in uniforms with laminated cards type Wes Anderson? You know, people with walkie-talkies, Wes Anderson. There is no other Wes Anderson. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's, that's him. You think Steve Zissou might be his pro level movie? No. It, the, the, what, what, what's difficult right. level for Wes Anderson so, movies? I think uh, my favorite is Rushmore. That's mine. Right? Absolutely mine. And, uh, it may be his best, but I have to. I think it's the I one where he put, got them. He, he his ambition got it exactly right. Yeah, but I'm I I really I feel like Moonrise Kingdom may be a contender because they're very similar in a lot of ways, and he's obviously a better filmmaker by the time Moonrise comes around. But Rushmore is like it's getting back to Rushmore is like the you know. Uh, you know your your uh, love for like fables or whatever weird old REM that you like. Like it's the it's the raw it's rec- kind reckoning, of reckoning, John. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no one likes fables. It's like, right? like, it's like three years later. <laughs> All right. Um, it, it, the raw early thing. So, so, where to start? I would say start Wes Anderson. I would definitely say start with Moonrise Kingdom because I feel like that's more accessible, and then go back to Rushmore. So Rushmore is my favorite. Where to start would be Moonrise. Best. I'm having difficult giving that, difficulty giving that to Moon Rise. I might have to give that to Rushmore as well. I finally got my kids to watch Fantastic Mr. Fox, though, by the way. Don't, 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 It was a tough sell. It took me years to get them to be willing me. to watch it. Yeah, I don't know. It's animated. It's got it's such boxes. a perfect movie. I think I think they have to. I think you have to be old enough to get like. Even though it's an animated movie, I don't really think it's actually a kids movie. No, like, no, no, no. A no, lot no, of no. the humor is. It's so much better than the book. <laughs> The book seems so boring after you see the movie. Yeah, my kids had never read the book. You're supposed, yeah. to, be my, you're supposed to be my lab partner. <laughs> no, you're not. You're disloyal. Uh, <laughs> Rushmore is... Oh, man. Rushmore hits it out of the park for me. It was my first one. Bottle Rocket? I never got that into Bottle Rocket. Okay, you know what? Let's move on to... You know, we don't want to make this whole thing all night, but let's let's do a hard one. All right. Do you want to try U2? 
I'm I'm pretty experienced at that one. So best. So we're going for just to the, remind everybody here. We're looking for best. We're looking for fa- John's 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 vote for best. John's vote for favorite, and John's vote for where to start. And no no greatest hits, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Come on. Um, not, and not an did, animal. Did, yeah. Did you listen to my uh, what the hell was it? The Mike's music podcast. Uh, yes, I think I did. Or the one with you two, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have the same type of thing because uh, oh, because you and you you weren't you then you bucked the system or was that Marco? Marco bucked the system a little bit with his. Yeah, he can't follow directions. He's he's terrible at that. Does he not understand how numbers not, work? Yeah, he's not a follower. Um, he must be using JavaScript. Uh, so the the premise of that show was like, come on and talk about an album, and the idea would be like your favorite album, um, and it's very difficult to pick a favorite. Uh. But I talked about what I thought was best and favorite in there. What I picked was Octung Baby, but I think you can't appreciate Octung Baby if you haven't listened to all of the work up to then. Absolutely um, not. But, but as I said on the show, I don't think that's even my favorite. My favorite, uh, this is pretty easy for me. My favorite album, which I totally concede is not U2's best album, is The Unforgettable Fire. Um, for sentimental reasons, totally recognize the time in my life when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. The music is me particularly too. appealing. I, I recognize that it's mixed all mushy and Eno-y. And like, I understand, like, it is not their best album, but it has some really good songs on it. And it has a particular appeal to me, both because of my sensibilities and for sentimental reasons. So that is, and has always been my favorite album. Um, best is where I get into a fight between Joshua Tree and Octung, where it's like, hmm. is Joshua Tree actually better than Octung? Yeah. I mean, it's hard it's hard to like you could say oh it's it's, it's got a lot of good singles on it uh, oh it's so samey and it was so like top of the charts how can that really be but then like it's like that's like saying that about the beatles like what are you going to condemn the beatles for like joshua yeah. tree is pretty but then on the other hand i feel like there are weaker tracks on joshua tree than octung so i don't i don't know on that one like it depends on what mood i'm in sometimes i say octung sometimes i say joshua tree i really feel like it's the joshua tree has more consistent and higher highs, but it also has lower lows. And Octung does not really have a bad track on it. And because of the place it falls in the history of the band, it elevates it as well. So maybe. So, so where do they start? Uh, a two way ties. And so where to start? I would say you got to start with War. Like, I mean, if you're going to become like, you, I want you to appreciate you too. You don't have to start with Boy. You don't start with October. You start with War, right? Just do, ah, just do so. War, War, Joshua Tree, uh, Octung. Um, and then like, see where you want to go from there. Cause I feel like you, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think you have to start from one, uh, not the song. That, not you know, the I don't song. think you yeah. don't have to start from boy. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like war is the entry point. It's gotta be. They're so young on boy, but it is, it's so bracing. There's like, a lot of yelling. There's a lot of yelling, but I mean, dun, dun, dun. like, uh, uh Glockenspiels, man. Glockenspiels. What's, what's the, what's the one? It's right for into the heart. Yeah. And it's got the, and then it goes into the dun 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 dun, and then it yep. goes. And I got a feeling yep. out of control. Is that what it's called? Yep, out of control. Oh my Electrico. god! Electrico. Yeah, we go. Well, that's you know, I, I now I'm scared to go back and listen to Unforgettable Fire because I I got into I really loved War. I mean, I was basically for me it was Sunday Bloody Sunday. When I first heard Sunday Bloody Sunday, I was like, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. Uh, it's just it was perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And uh, I had heard October before that. I think I mentioned I'd heard Gloria before that, but that's where I got hooked. The Red Rocks EP was a great sort of, you know, cheap way to get into them. But yeah, Unforgettable Fire, I have so much emotional connection to that album. It came out when I was a senior. That's the first tour I saw them on. It really uh, is just a mushy mess of that. Like, the production on it is, is, it really? is weird. It's like, it's not is that bad. bad? But Isn't bad on there? Yeah. I love that song. Oh, it's a, it's a hell of a song. Like, And there, there are some weaker tracks on there, and there's a little bit of sameness to the mix, and it's a little bit muddy, uh, and a lot of the songs come more alive. But like... 
the really it's it's like the the ringy jangly guitar that you know from U2 with Brian Eno just washing it all out into this crazy ass haze of uh, <laughs> right and, you know, and Daniel Lenoir I mean he, he added some Merc yeah yeah is yeah didn't he so, do like a lot of the fruity guitar stuff on there there's fruity guitar stuff on all of them it's just different variety like no but the, but the, the kind of languorous uh, I think Daniel Lenoir does a lot of the like very I mean I know obviously I know Sir I know I know Eno's the ambient guy but Daniel Lenoir does a lot of things with like like pedal steel and stuff like that is it. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised you didn't pick. Uh, what's their as, popular album? What's the What's the one with the what, Streets as, Have No Name? What's as best or favorite? Uh, Joshua Tree. I'm kind of surprised you didn't pick Joshua Tree as the place as to entry start. point. No, because yeah. because I feel like because if you, if you're looking for an entry point to to a band, it shows that you don't just want to say, "Give me a song that I've heard of and like or will like from this." Like that you in that you want to get into the band, and yeah. I feel like War Joshua Tree Octung is the way to get into you too, and then you branch out from there. Because that that will give you where they were coming from, where they ended up, and where they wanted to go to. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think you you helped some people with that one. Yeah, no, no. So I have one for you. Yeah, this is uh, maybe you've already thought about this enough that you have an answer ready at hand. Uh, the okay. Beatles. Oh, okay. So best favorite place to start, and it has to be albums, not like greatest hits, right? Yeah. Um. Best is Revolver. Uh, favorite is Rubber Soul. How do you feel about your bet? Like, do you feel like there that you are that there is any kind of consensus or that you are in good company? No, with best no, no, is dude, dude. I'm telling you, ask me again in five minutes because those right. two go those two go back and forth all the time. Because I, I mean, I think okay, but but brass tacks. Revolver is their most important album. <laughs> Great. Let's add. No, we didn't add, we're not going to the important category. John, let me add another category called the most important. Uh, Revolver is is an incredibly important album. I I will I will fight tooth and nail with anybody who says Sgt. Pepper is their best album. It's yeah, vastly. Think, it's a very good album. But I think a lot of people over, pick that. Well, it's vastly overrated uh, and it's incredibly dated. Whereas you can listen to Rubber Soul and Revolver. I mean, go listen to Got to Get You into My Life. And, and you're going to say, what, this is a song from 1966? I mean, at worst, it sounds like Wings from the mid-70s. That does not sound like a song from 1966. And just the breadth of what they accomplished on Revolver. Revolver might be all three for me, except that, uh, okay, I'm going to, uh, let's act like we can't do that that easily. So I'm going to say, uh, see, this is hard. If I, can, if, if I have to pick just one of each, which I think makes this challenge more interesting, even though it's a little false, Revolver is their uh, best. Uh uh, the Beatles, the White Album, very close to one of my favorites. But I think that's not the place to start. The place to start is probably not even, you might say, the first Beatles album, which they recorded in like 14 hours. That's a pretty good place to start. But I might go with actually maybe A Hard Day's Night, just because it's got several hits that you'll know, and it will really get you the feeling for the Beatles when they started to fire on all cylinders. How's, how'd I do? Yeah, I think I think where to start is definitely the most difficult one because you're like, how, where to start? What? What are you starting? What are you? Oh, I know. What is this the beginning of? Well, especially because they did it all. <laughs> they did it all. I mean, like you think about from what she loves you. I mean, this is, this is a, a quote that I will never stop obsessing about. You go from she loves you to whatever the long and winding road. You're talking about seven years. They did all that in seven years. Yeah, so try, try not they, to think about. They the did timeline. all of that in. <laughs> 
They did all that in my daughter's lifetime. They did all of that in 2009. That, that, that's like the depressing stuff about like how Einstein had all his great ideas before he was like 30 or whatever. You ever see that webpage <laughs> where you can find out what Mozart had done by your age? <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of that is BS, the Einstein one. But the Beatles one, you can just look at the albums and be like, well, they're you can't deny these albums didn't exist and they did exist and it was a very short period of time during which like i learned to roller skate you know but even, <laughs> but even just looking at their hairstyles over like four years i mean it's just it's incredible so you know as far as like where to start like it's, it's diff- that's difficult to do uh with the beatles but you know and that is actually one of those rare cases where you know yeah there's some greatest hits things you could do but get the uk versions of those but I guess we're getting away from the actual point of this, which is like, what is it that makes this hard? Well, it makes it hard because like we love all of them. We we've we've for all these things that we're talking about. Like I've seen every episode. I've seen almost every episode of New Who, uh, but but now let me let me kind of flip it around just a little bit here. Like I'm really struggling with Buffy because I've tried a couple times now, and I know for a variety of reasons, like I should see Buffy, but I I feel like like I put off watching Community. But then I finally watched it, and I loved it. I keep putting off Buffy, and when I turn it on, I'm just like, ah, this feels like a show from the 90s. It's like it feels it – it's not even – I know, but like Gilmore Girls is delightful from yeah. the first frame. But like I, I can just sit and watch six Gilmore Girls in a night. But with Buffy, like how long do I have to stick with it to, to, for it to take? I was never into Buffy when it was on. Um, I mostly, feel like I, owe it to Jason. I, 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 I could say mostly out of ignorance because like I knew a lot of people who were into it. It just didn't seem like it appealed to me. I had seen the movie from whatever that's where I know they're not related anyway, really. But, uh, um, and I, I just wasn't into the show and I was fine not being into it. Like other, I had new friends who were into it, but it just wasn't my thing, whatever. And then now later knowing people who, who list Buffy as like an important influential show, Jason being the one that we both know the best made me go back and give it a try. And I think I made it through like the first season of Buffy. Oh my and, God, you have like, to get through the first season. The second season where it gets good. Uh, and anyway, like, I mean, Joss Whedon does a lot of Whedon-y things. Like, at this point, I, I, I can sense the Whedon. And I like Joss Whedon. And, <laughs> uh, and this is like, it's not even like proto-Joss Whedon. It's like, everything he does has this particular sensibility that I like about, you know, shows camaraderie between people who are, I assume, all like, either like him or like people he would like to be friends like with. Like a, a kicky smart girl. Yeah, which is, you know, which is fine. I like that type of thing, but I'm not really that into the premise. And, you know, there's the the television production isn't that great. Um, And I didn't dislike it, but it didn't grab me enough to keep me going. I think it's mostly because by this point, I've seen a lot of Whedon-y things and a lot of people influenced by Joss Whedon have gone on to do things that I feel like are better than that. That if you had seen it as the first one of its kind then you wouldn't have had all that past. Like, oh, I've seen tons of Joss Whedon things before, and I've seen other people who watched that and made their own media, and it's, you know, like, but if it's the first one, it's, and, and I feel like, feel like that Jason, this is Jason's favorite show. I'm not sure he would say it's the best show. Maybe right. he would. Maybe he can't separate those two. Um, and maybe you can get into, like, it's the most important show in terms of this particular nerd genre. Um, yeah, so, uh, like, that's to trying to figure out is Jason trying to say this is the best show, or is this his favorite, or does he think we it's like the show? It's certainly like, influential on him, very important for him. Right. I mean, there's, there's so many different aspects of it. So I can appreciate it on all those levels, and I don't dislike it, and I may go through and finish it eventually. It's just a matter of, you know, having enough free time. Like, I like it enough that I feel like if I was unemployed, I would oh, have yeah. watched it all by now. Well, as they say on his podcast, Times of Confusion, 400 and how many scripted shows every year? I mean, it's it's nuts. Um, yeah. 
but uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Like, you know, I never watched the X Files, but I think it's it's too late to to go back at this point. It's not. It's I, w- I was surprised about that one. We just did the hopper about the X Files, so yeah, hopefully yeah. you didn't listen to it because you would have ruined. A bunch I, of things. I stopped. But, yeah, but, yeah, but but anyway, um, I expected to go back to the X Files and be like, oh, I really like the show. Because again, oh, I really like the show when it was on. It was an important show. It broke new ground for for people who are starving for this type of entertainment on television. It was amazing for us. But when I go back and look at it, it seems trite. And I was impressed by how i mean granted we cherry-picked like the best episodes you know we, we'd all seen the entire series and then we cherry-picked like the best four episodes or you know a handful of the the very best episodes made of the show that had many many seasons so maybe it gave the wrong impression but i'm like you know what those episodes they hold up in the context of modern television in pretty much all aspects um, wow that's great to hear and, and the new hd versions look really good right yeah, and like, and see, the thing is, as many people pointed out on the podcast, the overall show does not hold up <laughs> in in view of modern media because it, you know, like it's very silly. Um, Being like an anthology, not an anthology, but it's it's there's the, some arc to it that gets more arc as it goes on, right? Yes, and and it takes itself a little bit too seriously, which is why, like I pointed out on the show, a lot of the episodes that we chose to watch in that episode of The Incomparable were more of the funny episodes. Where the only reason this this episode is so entertaining is because it comes after like so many other very oh, okay. self serious right. uh, shows about the. the it, it's as if like if you think of another show that you might be more like Battlestar Galactica was very yeah. serious about itself. It was it was, it was you know, mostly took itself seriously. Imagine if they had thrown in there some shows that played against the things. If they did that, like a you know, trouble with tribbles. Yeah, or or like, I mean, it's even more addressing that because X Files was not an ensemble show. It's those two people. Like, it's the two leads, and we just get to know them so much, and that's why the show runs out of steam. Because like, what can you do to these two people? They have to have a story. They go through it, but eventually, like, they have their lives. You know. People don't have 7,000 stories in their lives. They can't just keep getting into scrapes over and over again. Like, we don't reset the clock. It's, there's a continuity. Um, so that's why the show ran its course. But um, but X-Files, I feel like I feel like the modern viewer, if they were to go back through it and they weren't into sci-fi shows, would be eye-rolling at the, uh, the sort of the overall arc. But it's almost worth eye-rolling your way through the incredibly confusing and ridiculous, you know, lost those a lot to these things of, like, throwing out bits of information that never get paid off and just keeping you hooked and blah, 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 because they developed the characters so well, and there are so many people got to do interesting, inventive things in that show, and the best episodes are really, really good. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend you go back and slog through it, but if you did, there would be rewards waiting for you. Just just stop after season six. Just stop. Don't it's, go on. You know, it's like like anything like this. It's so hard to. I'm just kind of I guess reiterating here, but it's so hard to recreate the environment that something comes up in because it's making me think of like a uh, a band like Sloan. <clears throat> this Canadian band I like of, called Sloan. Of course, of course, it does. I can't. I, I'm 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 able to somehow by proxy make fun of you for liking Sloan on behalf of John Roderick, <laughs> even though I know nothing about Sloan. <laughs> Uh, but the other than they're t- Canadian, totally, totally legit. Um, John has how, great how judgment. Feel, how do you feel about the Wrens? Hmm? So anyway, uh, uh, I, I, I'll tell you this one. I'll tell you the be- best Wrens album, <laughs> favorite Wrens album, and Wrens album to start with. Is it the only one? But was like, like I think of Sloan as being this band that was like the most important band of the beginning of my late adulthood. Like discovering them in my uh, whatever it was mid thirties. That that's the beginning. I want to parse this. The beginning of your late adulthood. What so are you? Far. What, what are you now? A, a pile of dust. <laughs> beginning of your late adulthood. So is this the end of your late adulthood or the beginning of your Yoda form? I have some troubling news to share with you, John. 
Oh, this will be the last performance by the Von Trapp family. It's more dander than man now. <laughs> Twisted and evil. Ah, <laughs> uh, forget it. But no, because in that case, Sloan's a band that I first learned about in my waning days of living in Tallahassee, and then my life fell apart, and I moved here, and that's when I got into Sloan. I mean. Coincid, not honestly coincidentally, but unrelatedly, is like that's when I finally like bought some Sloan, bought more Sloan records, and it's like you know, kind of the start of the life that I have these days was around the time I was listening to Sloan. So I, there's no way I could, and then of course I kind of grew with them. I became a super fan of the band. It was fun. To, it was a fun band to be a super fan of. Um, because not that many people knew or cared about them, so it was, it was kind of fun. And but like today, like I still love them, but like. Sloan today does not sound the way that Sloan did in 1997, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, certain you kinds can't, of bands. You can't connect back to. I, I have the same thing with you too, a little bit. Because... Well, especially with like Octone Baby, uh, Baby, mm. Octone Baby. It must be hard to go back and say, no, no, no. You have to really understand like what music sounded like, you know. But even just like, I mean, I think you got you got hit the nail on the head when you're talking about that it was an important time in your life, like a dramatic time in your life. Let's say, and for most people, that dramatic time is like their adolescence, right? But you can right. have dramatic times like that in adulthood. And it's just a bucket of ice water all over again. Like, it's, you know, it, can you go back and recapture what it was like to get into Sloan at that time in your life with what was going on with you and the, the, right. the, the new the new life you were setting out to build in a new place and all that, like, and at the same time getting to this band. And then if you let a long enough gap go where you just don't think too much about Sloan, I don't know if it's happened to you, but it happened to you too. You're like, you just kind of take it for granted. It's just this thing or whatever. And then go back. Can can I listen to you two and hear it the same way I heard it when I was fourteen years old? I can kind of remember it, but it doesn't quite sound the same to me now. You know what I mean? I do, and it also it's also the difference between like take something like there was a song that was really popular at the time that I was first really really getting into listening to FM radio a lot, which is about. 75, 76, and it goes like this. <clears throat> I believe in miracles. Where are you from, you sexy thing? Everyone knows that from commercials, yep. And it was on. Like, this is back during the days of payola. I mean, it was on constantly. It was on so much. And I hated it. I hated it because I was so, it was very, very clever and fun the first time I heard it. But it was on like 20 times a day. Now, the funny part is, like, I hear, might hear that today and I go, oh, man, that song's really good. But I don't want to hear it twice. And that, that's part of the thing is if I go back and I listen to, like I hear whatever, pick any J. Random song, I hear I Ran by uh, A Flock of Seagulls come on. Uh, it's, it's great. It takes me back in time. And even though that was one of my favorite bands at the time, it was the first band along with the Go-Go's that I ever saw live in concert. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me think A Flock of Seagulls was a great band. It, there are, it, I can't transport myself that far back to where I would actually want to sit down and listen to this and Space Age Love Song, etc. It's not that good, and it doesn't hit me that hard. Um, yeah. you, so, I mean, like again, that's, so much of that was like from the time. But, like, you know, so again, I might hear something like, like Howard Jones. I might hear What is Love by Howard Jones, which I always thought was a very clever, interesting, surprisingly complex pop song for, like, a one-man band. But, you know, is that going to make me go out and buy, like, a, you know, 
uh, a box set? Not really. You know what I mean? It's that was that was of its time. I get a nice snapshot that pops up here to listen to, and you know I'll be good to be without that for like another three years, and I, yeah. I won't think about it. You're looking for something with, with some depth when you like. That's when you're going through like best favorite and and where to start and things you can look back on, like the things that stand the test of time that you recognize are really great, but uh, th- that have depth to them that weren't just like cheaply tickling whatever buttons being novel or interesting or having hooks or whatever you realize in in retrospect uh looking at the whole scope of media created around the same time that it just kind of lays lays flat and just like well this was just another one of those things and it wasn't like you know it wasn't that tower i was talking about this this giant edifice that you're like stands as you recede in history the tower is still visible with light shining from you like that was a thing it wasn't just the rubble on the bottom of the tower that i found a shiny rock and thought it was exciting it's like as we recede in history it's still visible with its light shining up above all the other crap and the other crap wow. just looks like you know just looks like uh you know a, a bunch of dust from a distance um so but even but even things like that where i feel like the joshua tree and octone or whatever are pretty towering achievements but still you can't get back to like what they meant to you at the time that, that you got into them Sometimes it's what they meant when they were new, like if you happen to be there when they came out, but it doesn't have to be. Like it can also be because I was around when Octung came out, but I, I, you know, Joshua Tree was sort of like just randomly on the radio and I didn't pay much mind to it until I got into U2 many years later. And yeah, so I, I just can't, if you can't recapture your state of mind when this media came to you, that could be the state of mind that is making it your favorite, but it could also mean that you can never, that you can never enjoy it and appreciate it truly the same way you did at that time, but it can still be your favorite. That's really good. It's depressing, but, it, but it's really good. I don't think it's depressing because I think there's new things like that all the time. Like, I mean, I'm excited to be Everyone talks about how great TV is getting. Like I was just thinking the other day, my TV memories are really weird. Like two recent TV memories I have are when I, you know, binge watching was, is now a thing that you can do that you couldn't do before. And my, my two recent really good TV memories were both on on vacation because who doesn't like to be on vacation. I was on vacation many years ago when girls was first coming out and I'm like, let me try out this girls things. And I watched all of girls while on vacation, you know, not having to go to work every night. I would just watch like one or two episodes on my iPad (laughs) on my iPad. This is, um, you know, and then Mr. Robot, I was on vacation this summer and I'm like, Oh, this Mr. Robot thing or whatever. I watched all of Mr. Robot. Or, or all of Mr. Robot that there was at that point. I think it hadn't actually completely finished up yet. Um, on vacation on my iPad. Those those connect, those connect series will always be connected now with being on vacation, like laying in a bed or being on a beach or whatever and watching on my iPad. Weird weird connections and memories. That changes hmm. uh, the shows for me. And I feel like like even though I can't get back to the way I felt when I first saw The X-Files, there's always new things out there. And new, you know, Who would have thought that your one of your favorite TV shows the experience that would be associated with it would be watching it in the dark with headphones on, on your iPad. That's, uh, so, so, that's so interesting. So like, even though like I have these sense memories that are very strong about music and TV from, you know, certain times, like, like I've told you before, like, you know, um, you know, uh, like certain songs that I, I really associate with like military school or like, I think about like, is she really going out with him by Joe Jackson? That will always be a song I associate with being in military school. But like, even now you mentioned Kimmy Schmidt, uh, that is, to my knowledge, the only show where I have watched the entire season in a day. Um, my family had gone to visit family, uh, our fam- family outside of town, my, my wife and my daughter. And I was home alone, and I didn't have any plans. I had nothing I had to do. I, I have a vague recollection of at one point taking a shower, at one point cooking a steak. 
I slept and I got up and I had coffee. But other than that, I, I, I watched the entire series in about, I think, about 20 hours. You're living the dream. You're making me jealous. I was going to be like, how did you watch? Oh, your family wasn't there. <laughs> I see. Although the shower thing sounds a little bit uh, implausible to me. <laughs> Hello, is this Mrs. Siracusa? Uh, yes, it's very important. You bring your family very far away. Leave John at home. He has important work. <laughs> Yeah, what are you, you holding? Do, like, are you holding on a finger under your nose like a mustache? No. And actually, speaking of that, like that is for people with responsibilities, like because we have the ability to binge watch it, like or being on vacation or like reading a book at, at the beach. Like I have some memories of reading Stephen King books while you know on vacation or while otherwise carefree as a kid, and you can read them at a much greater rate. And more recent ones like The Last of Us, I played when my entire family was out of town for an extended period of time visiting family and I wasn't with them and I was still going to work. And then at night I would come home to an empty house and I would turn off all the lights and turn off the speakers to levels that my family would not tolerate. And I would play the last of us. And it was the perfect environment to play an incredibly depressing game about, you know, loss in the end of the world. Totally without, you know? And so, yeah, I, I feel like even if you can't recapture the way you were, then I could not have appreciated the last of us the way I appreciate it now. So there's always something out there to connect with you where you are now in your life and i, I you know or e- even things like journey that I, I really don't feel like i would appreciate it to the degree i appreciated playing it as an as an adult with a family even though it's not particularly about families i guess it's about whatever the hell you want it to be about but and that you may never appreciate until you get the whole gaming thing down but anyway um i don't again fighting against the idea that like well you're never gonna love any band like you loved you two when you were a teenager not true just not true like it's just that's one memory and i'm making new memories as i continue to live my life um and who's to say which is more i mean you could say that that one had more of an influence because it ripples out through the rest of my life whereas the things i experience now at the very least will only ripple forward and probably the ripples will be smaller because i'm more set in my ways and my brain is slowly turning into cement in my head but uh but yeah I, i get immense satisfaction from new stuff because there's just so much more new stuff and so many new ways to experience it I, I totally agree. And, and and I think what you're describing also is more of a slightly different flavor of uh, what I call it the arrogance of the contemporary, which is this idea that like, I'll never feel that way like I felt then. I can't feel that way like I felt then. Because there's this part of you that needs to never feel that way again. You want to you have something that you can keep in a little snow globe, which is not really super smart or realistic when like you know like what are you what are you saving that up for? Like, isn't there like, can't you just enjoy that as a thing and then find something else that's new that you really enjoy? Yeah, it's not diminished by any future enjoyment, you know, like it's not it's it's not as if you are cheating on your favorite movie yeah, you're not being by, disloyal. Fi- by finding yeah. by finding new movies that that you love. And in fact, you should seek them out because otherwise you'll become set in your ways and bitter and unable to a- attain the sense of joy you had at. I mean, that's, you know, like that's why Star Wars fans are looking forward to new Star Wars. movies. They're not trying to recapture the old sensation. They're trying to make new sensations that are like the old one. You know, like because they have a history with it and there's a chance that a movie that in the end is not the world's greatest movie, but because it connects back to movies that were just so incredibly important to them can be elevated. And so if you can go to a movie and have a good time and have that good time turbocharged by an entire lifetime of being a Star Wars fan, uh, that's a great experience. And so, you know, why that's why people like franchises. But but for new stuff in it, just being open to new things and television is the easy one to pick because there's so many interesting new shows um, and that you can, they, they can catch you by surprise because again, you just hear people talking about them or maybe someone recommends you're like, yeah, whatever. And then you just watch one episode of it on a whim on vacation. And by the end of the week, uh, you have watched all of them on your iPad and you're just, you, you know, you can't wait. Like I have, I, you know, girls and, and Mr. Robot, I just remember being, getting the end of an episode of girls and being like, 
I can't believe someone even made this TV show. And let me watch another episode and then I'll go to bed. Okay. I feel better. I'm less depressed. Shouldn't be depressed. Yeah. You're right. Should be thinking about the next time your family leaves, you can watch something like that. I'm, 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 my family actually, <laughs> actually is going away sometime soon. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do. I think the answer is that I'm going to get the oil changed in my car, unfortunately. 